As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And there are particular limitations, I think that... I am I'm making up for the thing thing about it. Hey everyone, Matt Lanfey here with Primary and Secondary. Welcome to ModCast. This is ModCast 110. We're going to be talking about video games. So we were discussing what we wanted to do. There were, there were some topics that we wanted to touch upon that we really wanted to get into, but they're really not in line with our normal topics. They're, it's not normal primary and secondary fare. It's not necessarily guns, gear, training, mindset. They're video games. We also want to talk about travel. We're going to have that coming up. We're going to have a food episode coming up. We probably have some other net security. I would not be surprised if that's going to be a topic in the near future. Um, so with that in mind, we were discussing how do we want to go about doing this? We want to provide this. We want to have this discussion, but we don't want to confuse people. So we came to the conclusion, let's do this on a different day. So Sunday, here we are. We're going to be talking about video games. I've been playing video games since I believe it was the Atari, Atari 2600 ever since I've been hooked. Um, Yeah, the last console game I played seriously was on the Nintendo 64, and that was Goldeneye. Ever since, I've been a PC kind of guy. On occasion, I would go and visit some friends that are playing on Xbox or whatever, and they hand me a controller, and it's completely foreign to me. I still try, I still die, but yeah, it's still fun. It, it, just the social aspect is fun. I still attend, when I can, LAN parties. LAN parties are a blast. Do I also uh, might have played some Dungeons and Dragons with dice on occasion. But that's beside the point. Um, it's fun. It's good. It's, it's cool. They're good times, uh, especially when you get a, a, a good group of people to, uh, good pe I can't even talk, a good group of people together where we're all just having fun. What I found also is when you get people like-minded, like primary and secondary people together playing video games, it gets even more fun. And then you actually start integrating some tactics and some mindset stuff. It's, it's a blast. So I'm not going to get into my actual background. I'm just going to say I'm an avid video gamer. I love it. Right now we have two audios, or we have a, a live audio stream on Spreaker. We are also live on YouTube. Both of these have a, uh, have a live chat. So if you have questions or comments, feel free to post on there. If we can, we'll get to them. 
if we're not immersed in our immediate conversation. Um, it's awesome to get that, that outside influence from our listeners and viewers because it adds an, a new level to our conversation. It adds some, some input. We do have uh, one or two more panelists that may be joining us a little later. But I think that's pretty much it. We do have a, yeah, we're on primaryandsecondary.com. Um, we had a whole segment prior to this, and we will have a segment after this that you will be able to access on uh, our whole network support deal. Basically, if you go to patreon.com slash secondary, you have the opportunity to donate to the cause. Basically, what, what Patreon does is it allows you to donate to primary and secondary, and this, uh, this covers a lot of software fees, uh, hosting fees, special projects. We do have some very large projects coming up with InRange TV, Forgotten Weapons, and another entity that is awesome, absolutely awesome, and we are incredibly excited about it. Um, the opportunity just to work with InRange and Forgotten Weapons is awesome. Add on this other party, and it's epic. So, Jordan, what do you have to say? I guess, at least initially, pretty similar to Matt there. Uh, I'm more of a Nintendo Super Nintendo generation uh, guy myself. Uh, yeah, and, and abandoned, I guess, abandoned the console world about about the GoldenEye in 64 GameCube era. Uh, been uh, that PC game, that PC gamer master race for uh, oh, let's run the numbers there. Let's say oh, 20 years now. Um, big uh, actually, the bulk of it's been tactical shooters, starting with SWAT three. Um, Arma OFP, uh, other things in that in that that realm, I guess. Fight Sims. Did you um, ever play Tribes? A little bit. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but uh, definitely my my bulk of my video game experience is kind of your tactical shooters and and combat flight sims. So that's where I'm going to be coming from. Cool, and also with your professional background with video gaming yeah yeah there's some professional crossover uh uh in video games too and uh we'll talk about that later there's already a comment on the uh on chat asking or saying i'm interested to hear about what he thinks of arma <laughs> you're in for a treat this is gonna be a blast carl what do you have for us uh well besides wearing two vr helmets at the same time um my um my video gaming goes way back. I mean, to back is beyond, um, it is pitch black and you're likely to be eaten by a Gru. I mean, that's where I start. We're talking Zork and Dungeon stuff way back when. So um, always been on the computer gamer side of things. Um, I dabbled in consoles and frankly found them lacking. No offense to anyone watching, but we can talk about that later in the discussion tonight. Um, my interests have always been sort of on the, the tactical sim side of stuff, flight sims, tank sims, combat sims. Um, and I enjoy first-person shooters if they have enough realism into them to a, have to instill a sense of disbelief while I'm playing it. So um, that's the kind of stuff I'm coming from. I go way back from, I mean, tape decks and load, you know, quote, star, quote, comma, eight, comma, one, up to today with Windows 10 and other stuff and VR. So hopefully we'll have some interesting insights in that regard. But um, been around a long time, infosec side of stuff as well, so I can tie that in too, maybe. Yeah, the, the historical aspect... And we're, we're going to get into accurate models and stuff, but the historical aspect is going to be a fun discussion, specifically about <laughs> modern games like Battlefield 1. 
Uh, oh, yeah, that would be a good one. Um, yeah, that's exactly where I want to go with this. But we'll have different aspects of this, I'm sure, throughout the whole thing. No doubt. No doubt. Not conceived. Yep. Uh, yeah, so th- basically this is going to be almost like a LAN party where a bunch of guys get together, but we're going to talk about video games. We're not going to play them. And then we have a first-time visitor, hopefully long-time listener, Roy. Oh, hey. What's up, guys? Uh, yeah, I've been playing video games since, like, the early 90s. I'm, like, in my n- mid-30s now, so uh, basically a, a 90s kid. And my parents, they were computer scientists, so they didn't want me to ever play console games. They, they thought it was a waste of time. But big mistake, PCs are better. So I figured out, like, in 1993, PC game, PC Master Race. I think I started with, like, Wolfenstein, Doom, and... Uh, in my memory, Duke Nukem 3D is still the best video game ever, which is which makes like Duke Nukem Forever such a tragedy. I literally stood in line at a PAX for six hours to play to get like a five minute preview of Duke Nukem Forever years ago, and now it's out. I, I don't even buy it. <laughs> it's like it was a. Uh, let me see. Uh, I do have a bunch of nerd cred in one really cool way. Let me show you guys real quick. Ta-da! Yeah. That's uh, for Counter Strike Global Offensive, and I got to uh, we, what, we Photoshop. Yeah, Photoshop. No, you don't, you, don't, you don't see Photoshop. Damn it! You can't see the image. Oh well, let's see. Yeah. Well, if you just pull up Counter Strike Global Offensive, you'll find me in the credits. It was pretty cool consulting with Valve because uh, the whole time I just talked shit about Half Life Three and how much I needed it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Helped them on some other projects, but but they love that. Yeah, it's like, uh, I love that meme about Gabe. It was like, ABC, it's easy as one, two. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully uh, we get to see more from Val soon. But yeah, just, uh, I'm usually the guy they go to to bounce ideas on. Like, is that realistic? It would be this be doable for, like, gameplay and stuff? Like, you know, they want to use the gravity gun in basically every type of game now. But I'm like, yeah, I can't really use that in real life. Like, uh, could you make a blunderbuss with, like, black powder and ju- just shoot random shit out of it? I was like, well, you know, barrel pressures, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, uh, that's enough about me. Thanks for having me, and hopefully I'll be on in the future. Oh, I think you will. I, I do think you will. Well, I guess we'll we'll go to Walt since he's a, he, he actually made it. He's at a restaurant right now, too. Yeah, yes, I definitely am. I'm using the internet. And, and you're a video gamer. I am. Uh, I've been gaming since I was a kid, but uh, I've been a PC gamer pretty much the whole time. I started building computers when I was like 10, just so I could play Doom back in the day. Uh, and then went on to play a lot of Counter-Strike. And... Uh, Pretty much mostly all first-person shooters, but now bolt a little bit for Ubisoft and the Red Storm team on some of their stuff and do motion capture. I uh, did motion capture for The Division, uh, Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, and Ghost Recon uh, Wildlands as well, the most recent one. But, yeah, uh, a, a lot of gaming under my belt. It's uh, a lot well deployed, but yeah, that's my uh, that's my gaming background. And can you give any 
any hints as to why someone would want to listen to you as a consultant with those with those brands? Yeah, so I am still active duty uh, with uh, Special Forces. Uh, I've been in the Army for 13 years, 10 of those with, well, yeah, about 10 of those with soft at this point. Um, and then I also run ODS, or Operational Detachment Source, which uh, deals in high-quality gear and firearms so yep that's why yeah we, we uh yeah we have a couple reasons we want you on here so that yeah good timing and then i guess finally oh yeah and we're any idea if chuck was going to join us you can nod or shake your head i i don't think so okay figures i sent him a message didn't get a response back oh well and lastly I guess we can talk to my my brother, John. Hey, hey, Matt. What do you, what do you want to say? I don't know. No, um, no I, I was just thinking about this, and I was realizing that remember when you moved out of our house in Illinois, no. and it was about maybe a week after you got the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo, yeah. <laughs> and I realized that was the worst part about you leaving, is that that I realized that. Oh my God! My brother is taking the Super Nintendo with him, and that was probably—it's a true story. Probably the worst part about it. That—that that would be terrible. I think it was like I just—I just got to play it for the first time. And it was Super Turtles Nintendo was the the pinnacle of console entertainment. God. <laughs> but after that, after that, we had—I have a lot of experience going over to your Cinebatch, the Cinema Bachelor Pad. I guess is the combination of the words. And doing, uh, like, you would always have the newest games, including, yeah, just all the games. Unreal, when it was the most beautiful game in the world. And, uh, yeah, and we'd always have the conversations constantly about back and forth about whether or not, I'm like, consoles are the best. And then you tell me, but the controls suck, suck so bad. But then and you, finally, you surpassed me. Came over. But you surpassed me. VR. That's true. That's true. Now I have but VR is—it's not even control anymore. It's just the thing you do. It's not even—I don't even think of it as control. Interface. It's pointing. It's just the interface is almost gone. So anyway, yeah. So that's so, that's, that's that. I'm thinking. Let's start with the app, the, the basics. Where did it all start? Yeah, for me it was Atari. Uh, we have a super, a couple Super Nintendos and Nintendos and Zork. Where do you guys? Where? What specific aspect do you guys want to start with? Uh, that works. Uh, I'm trying to think here. Um, you know, there's I, always the neighbor with the Nintendo, and then we got a Super Nintendo that randomly showed up uh, one Christmas morning. I was like, "What's this?" And honestly, I was like, "Okay, yeah, I like played an Atari once and a Nintendo a couple of times." And I don't know what my parents were thinking. I think my dad just wanted to play the Super Nintendo. Um, and off from that, I guess uh, old Command and Conquer DOS was my first computer game. So that was good stuff. Well, I even went in, went as far as to not necessarily hack, but mod um, Doom and change the rates of fire and the damage and the amount of ammunition I could carry. 
Yeah, there's all sorts of stupid shit I was doing uh, in Command and Conquer, where you just go in and change the config values and everything. Those, that was a good time. Carl? Well, I mean, to me, I, I like I said, I started with things like Zork in the early days. I mean, I, I tape decks and stuff. In fact, one of my earliest memories was my mom being very angry with me when I overwrote one of her Perry Como cassettes, audio cassettes, with data on my C64 tape deck. And... Um, to me, and this is, I, I, this is, uh, I guess I like my fun serious, and I like my serious fun. So um, to me, it always had to be something, and this is just me, it always had to be, or almost always had to be somewhat intellectually stimulating, or I got bored with it. So uh, things like Zork or really hardcore RPGs, like the early Bard's Tale series, I would love the Bard's Tale series. And those are ones that, I mean, you'd start Bard's Tale, and you finish Bard's Tale a year and a half later. It didn't take 10 hours. It took a year. And you sit there with graph paper, mapping out maps and figuring out where the missing parts of the of the dungeon was or whatever. And to me, the, um, the, uh, the, the zenith of intellectual computer gaming that I enjoyed the most wasn't necessarily military-oriented, but it was the um, system. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Custom Shock 1 and 2, which oh, was yes. perfect synergy of smart cyberpunk dystopian sci-fi that was not easy and man i miss those days because computer gaming has strayed far from those has a lot of computer gaming has strayed away from that type of thing and i think we're starting to see a resurgence of it again with vr and i'm praying for it because for a long time consoles took over the scene and for me i got bored and walked away from it so i i have a gap in my computer gaming history in which i stopped bothering with it because it wasn't stuff like system shock did you ever get you into, ever get into like uh, what is it, uh, Dungeon Dragon, Dungeons and Dragons, or Shadowrun? You know what? I never played the pen and paper dice paper stuff. Never did. It was always the computer stuff for me. And so um, things like Bard's Tale were were were, were my thing. Um, there's a Bard's Tale four coming, by the way, that's Kickstarter supported, of which I'm a supporter of because I can't wait for it. But um, I heard someone chime in there. But Again, I'm repeating myself, but System Shock 1 was fantastic. I, my life became that, and System Shock 2 was even better. And they're making a third one. And I and to me, that's what, what I want. So, and, and, of course, tactical shooters as well. Like, I've talked about this before in more recent history. It's got to be realistic enough 
to suspend disbelief. So things like Red Orchestra 2, The New Rising Storm Vietnam is very, I'm enjoying that quite a bit. It's not super realistic, but it's, an, it's enough realism to enjoy it. And then hyper-realistic stuff like uh, Onward VR, which I think we're going to talk about later tonight. I really love stuff like that. Roy? Huh, I would say uh, I, I like realistic stuff, but since I was like a 90s kid, I still remember back when realistic guns and video games were a rare and unusual thing. Uh, I'd say, yeah, Duke Nukem, Doom, the early first-person shooters, uh, those were basically what I cut my teeth on. Uh, the game that I could play 12 hours straight without eating or drinking or going up to use the bathroom even was uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. Heck yeah, man. I would just uh, game from like sunrise to sunset. Sick. Can't do that anymore. I can't play a game for like 20 minutes anymore. Too busy. Adult life. It's crazy. But, uh, you know, I try to like get back into it because like new development with uh, gameplay mechanics and how much like gun guns are basically the gun world owes a ton to video games. It's like there's you have a ton of anti-gun people who play hours and hours of violent video games. And then, like, turn around and say, hey, I don't like guns. That's not really possible. Like, human beings are pretty easy to influence and market to. You know, we subconscious marketing absolutely works. When you have, like, millions of kids shooting realistic guns every day, that's how you go to the gun store. And you see, like, kids like, hey, I know this this and that and what an EOTech is. And they're, like, eight years old, you know. So yeah, I, I've got some personal experience that, you know, uh, just selling guns. Uh, kind of during the explosion of like modern Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, and everything, um, where that uh, that, that post jump right of where the mainstream uh, video games started taking guns seriously, right? So uh, you know, counter, you know, like Counter Strike, you know, Source and Beyond, and like your Modern Warfare and and Battle, and you know, more you know, some of that second generation battlefield stuff. Um, and definitely, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise video game, modern video games have sold a hell of a lot of guns and have done a lot to help the, okay, the modern Renaissance or greater societal acceptance of firearms we see today versus, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's definitely played a big part in that. Well, movies have too. I mean, let's be honest. Any type of entertainment that's mass media entertainment or, or pop entertainment probably had a play in that. Mm-hmm. But I think video games are significant because it gives you like the idea of using something, even if it's virtual. But yeah. the difference—the difference between movies and video games—I think the biggest thing is you, you get that intimate experience with whatever weapon system that is. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to are like. Oh, I love the P90. Oh, I use it in every <laughs> game that I play. That's the best gun ever. Because they've spent so much time in video games, whether it be multiplayer or single player, in that they use that gun because they like the way it feels. So it's a direct reflection of what they want in real life. Movies can't do that for people with gunplay, except for maybe some of the newer movies like John Wick or Collateral back in the day, or you know some of those type of movies that that really give that good feel of what that weapon system is. Other than that, video games blow movies out of the water when it comes to that, you know, getting to know that weapon system intimately th- uh, through a medium, an art medium. 
I, I agree with that entirely. And that's where the risk comes in, right? And maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves or I am, but that's where like some of these games do a pretty good job of actually emulating the actual firearms they represent. And a lot of them do a really bad job. So the lesson learned is wrong, right? So it's, I think we can talk about that later about which games do it better than others and stuff like that. But a, a misperception is pretty dangerous. And we see a lot of lore now in the firearms community and especially new people buying guns just because they played it in game X, Y, or Z and their understanding of the gun is unfortunately flawed because some of the games have done a pretty bad job with that. I actually talked to valve corporation about this with counter-strike. What it was, was uh, with a silencer that it made the gun less produce less damage and less accurate. Now, like in real life, you would get more muzzle velocity and way more accuracy actually, but they needed to do something for a balance. Like otherwise you would only get the, advantage of using a silencer but i'm like in real life you get gas blowback you could, you could, you could probably do that with modern graphics now where yeah i, I like you know what? i like the solution there on that, uh, that. counter-strike with uh go where they this made a whole nother gun and uh you know lower magazine capacity and whatnot it's, uh, this is where things like this is where there. things like onward VR can change everything because instead of giving a penalty or trying to be balanced, first of all, I think balance should be just gotten rid of. If something's unbalanced because a gun on one side or the other is better, so what? That's what it is. But <laughs> but but um, like so, an onward VR instead of like deprecating the performance of the rifle, what they do is they give you now a certain amount of, of storage slots on your person. You have eight slots, and if you take a suppressor, you waste two of those slots to have the can and therefore you can't carry necessarily an extra frag grenade or something like that but the actual tactical advantage of the can sometimes makes it worthwhile and that people can't tell where you're shooting from so i think that that's another way to balance it without necessarily messing with the actual characteristics of the firearm itself yep yep yeah so vr definitely is uh, going to make things a lot more visceral i think the going back to the discussion about video games versus movies the main difference is how visceral it is like a good movie can suck you in but uh, it's kind of like the Roger Ebert uh, debate about whether or not video games are art. He's an old guy. He doesn't get it. But I think uh, video games are absolutely an art form. And with VR, we're going to, like, take it to a whole new level. Where I don't even know what we're going to see, you know. We're going to have to have some, like, visionary produce something with this whole new way of presenting stories in 360 visceral uh, presentation. No. Well, a couple of things, right? One in VR allows you to actually manipulate an object as though you could in real life. So I'm going yeah. back to Onward again, but you actually kind of run the gun like you really would, like running the charging handle on an AR yeah. or putting a magazine in. These are all actual functional movements that do sort of reflect real life. Another thing we can do with VR, which hasn't is brand new. This has nothing to do with combat, but there's a, a game that came out, which is Rift specific called Lone Echo, but you're on a spaceship near Saturn, and you're literally moving through the ship in zero-G by pulling yourself through as though you have no other way to get through the ship. It's incredible. The, the experience uh, alone is worth the price of entry. The ISS sim on Riff also does that. And that was one of the things I that I played that. It's like, holy shit. More so than any other zero-G inside a spaceship, VR fucking works. There is... <laughs> it is dead. It's exactly right. You really... You know the whole teleportation or movement model isn't necessary. It's, it's completely removes that from the equation when you're doing that handhold and, and throwing yourself down a corridor and stuff like you would have to. I mean, basically the only thing you don't get to do is push off the things with your legs. And that's probably not an insurmountable uh, thing. If they really push it that way. Uh, that was one of the, yeah, 
that and the playing around on my vibe is like, okay, wow, this this has got something. If they really wanted to, to come up with a game that works well within the current confines of what you can do in VR, uh, zero G inside of spaceships is right up there into one of the best things you could really you can really leverage the technology as it stands. The best even, taste I've had of, 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 a, of a. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go. I was going to say even not even zero G, but even just have you played like Elite Dangerous or something like that inside of your inside of VR? It just wraps around you, and it just feels just so much more spectacular and so much more just interesting. You can just well, sit there for hours doing that. Yeah. You know, I you saw it yeah. earlier today, but uh, you know, I've been playing with a track IR and head tracking on my PC for probably. 10 years, maybe longer now. Um, so like the jump, the immersive jump VR brought for various things like uh, first person shooters and flight sims wasn't as big for me. Like I'm used to be able to look around and see what I'm doing. Um, and it's, it's kind of, and it, it breaks it. I, it breaks me on, on other games like, you know, first person shooters that are not Arma. I end up, you know, start looking around, checking stuff, and like, why am I not moving? Right. Um, so that was one of those things. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I've been kind of doing like 75% of this for a, a long time now. Gotcha. You know, it's the, 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 it's the stereo vision that kind of that gets you and like the full, you know, there's some extra immersion there for sure. But in terms of like, you know, some of the little stuff, like just being able to look around independent of what you're doing that I had that the, uh, I think one of the biggest underappreciated things in terms of immersion is, uh, the mechanics of sound, which you can do in mm-hmm. VR and do with head tracking where you can have some noise somewhere off and you immediately start turning your head and, 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 rotating your head around to try and say figure out where that where that is you know that's something you do naturally like you know we've only got two ears so if there's some noise somewhere we've got to like shift our head or do a little bit of back and forth there to figure out oh is that noise coming from in front of me or behind me if it's you know perfectly stereo mixed in your ears um and you know with the head tracking you do that so the the audio uh the audio immersion and like audio scape uh, of of the game uh, really becomes a 3D thing uh, versus like a one and a half D thing yeah. uh, in most things. So you know, without you know some sort of head tracking, be it VR or uh, like a track IR or something, you're you're definitely missing out on that. I've actually found that like I've played a little bit of Elite, Elite Dangerous and a couple of like seated games, and it's it is it is cool. Like I said, but I noticed that. Oh, you should do it. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I did notice that the games that, if they weren't rendering my hands, and if I wasn't doing something with my hands, I found myself to be really bored. It's like the controller was like 60% of the experience to me. It wasn't just standing in the room. It had to do with me grabbing a thing and manipulating a thing that was way, like, almost more important than anything else, which is I did not expect that actually. Yeah, the only thing I found particularly compelling with like the Steam controller versus the the you know the Magic Hand controllers um, was uh, playing some uh, of the new Dirt. I forget what it's called, but basically Dirt Rally or Richard Burns Dirt, or where the newest incarnation of that whole series is, um, where you're you're doing you're it's it's things are clipping around clipping a clipping a 
at a pace where you don't have time to be dicking around with shit, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's and it's some of that's hard to um, hard to really talk a lot about because there's not a ton of you know dirty secret for VR. If you haven't figured it out, there's not a lot of variety in uh, in games out there. You know. The, no, the the cool stuff is happening on the very fringes of experimentation, but a lot of the mainstream uh, VR stuff is is pretty um, uh, pretty cookie cutter at this point. The, I'd agree with, with that with Carl. Yeah, Carl, you, you, you're, what you have in your hands, I think, really enhances. It just makes sense, yeah. and it's awesome. It, it it looks like ridiculous, but this is, I mean, so on the fringe of VR, there's a couple titles here or there. That make it worth the while, but if you th- if you're going to get a VR headset and think that there's going to be this huge variety of of triple A titles to get, you're wrong. Unfortunately, there's like maybe five, six, seven, eight things that are worth having. However, those five, six, seven, eight things kind of make it worthwhile. And Onward VR is one of them. And this is the noob tube, right? This is PVC pipe, duct tape, and an M4 stock and a ridiculous M1 carbine sling. But in VR, this is that whole hand thing. You've got your controllers in here. Literally, you can come up from Sewell. Aim, fire down an alley, lean around an alley, go prone behind something. And this really, once you have this in your hands and you've got a shoulder pocket and you're treating it like you would a real gun with a chin weld or cheek weld, this starts feeling like you're actually handling a real M4 in combat. It's really crazy. And the reality between shooting that with my EOTech in real life and shooting it in Onward, your brain will really blend the two together to the point where Onward with the right server and the right people becomes a training event not just a game. And I think that's where VR could go if we don't let it just turn into garbage. But this this kind of ridiculous piece of junk plastic changes everything, and the tactile feedback completely convinces you that you're doing something real. Well, you know, uh, in, in some regards, that's already going on, going down. Um, uh, I know VBS3, which is the kind of the military training simulation uh, spinoff of the whole Arma OFP series, uh, it currently supports um, VR stuff. Um, and I know the army's been playing around with that as as the the prime mover there um, for their backpack VR setups. Um, like, okay, here's your where and you know, like fucking uh, X Files FPS episode. Um, it's like, okay, here's your backpack, here's your headset, here's your you know, you know, your gas operated recoil uh, M4. Let's you know, we're gonna go assault a town in this in in this uh, empty warehouse. Um, you know, it doesn't I, I, like onward. I keep going on about it because it's just so exceptional in this regard. But even though it's just a consumer product, it, it, with the right people, it's not a shooting simulator. It's a combat sim simulator in that you have these squads of four or five people on each side, and if you've got switched on guys that are communicating, it's all about that combat. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tactics and movement. Laying down suppressive fire. You know, uh, swiping around people, uh, cutting them off, bounding overwatch—that all happens in onward with the right people. And if yeah. you were to put, you could absolutely use it as a training event. Now, I okay, we're gonna yeah get the meat and potatoes here. Um, you know, that's—I don't think that's necessarily a VR exclusive thing. Um, you know, I'm kind of—I've been playing the whole OFP armor series pretty seriously regularly. Um, with a big group of other serious players for about 12 years now. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, y- there's definitely a simulation framework that has to be there for that stuff to happen. Uh, I, I don't think it's VR is necessarily, you have to have it because um, definitely uh, you learn how to communicate and kind of anticipate each other's actions. Um you know, you can even see it some in you know in competitive Counter Strike and stuff like that, where uh, where a lot of like uh, there's very real world principles that come into play and uh, in how you move and 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 conduct yourselves in that in those kind of areas. I, I would agree with what you're saying. In fact, I'm going to back you up on that. Uh, I've seen the same thing with Red Orchestra too. In that, even though that's not a VR game, if you have the right, if you're on the right server that's set to the right realism mode, and you've got the right squads, the type of stuff of throwing out smoke, laying down suppressive fire, moving a squad in, taking a position, that all happens in that game as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I found this old article from 1997 with Wired magazine about Marine Doom, where they were actually using Doom to train young lieutenants. Basic uh, combat and leadership. Pretty funny. And don't forget, there was also America's Army, which was a recruitment tool of the same guys. Oh, yeah. There's some guy who, like, saved the guy's life with the medical training or something. Yeah. You know, America's Army is good. I think that that what we don't want to do is there are certain things that I think can be trained in the virtual environment. Whether that be VR, whether that be you know a first-person shooter, whether that be third-person, whether that be a strategy game, there are certain things that can be trained to VR. There are other things that I don't think we should even entertain. I mean, I'm the out here, probably. I don't think that we should entertain you know that type of training taking place um, in that environment because I think what that leads to is delusions of grandeur for certain people, uh, bad training scars because they think that, you know, oh, I did it this way. I mean, yeah, you, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's all by itself. That's where they're going to get their training from. Um, but I think, okay, things like call for fire, things like controlling aircraft, things like when I say controlling aircraft, I mean, you know, dropping CAS, that kind of thing. Um, things like certain medical training, um, 
you know, maneuvering squads. Sure. Uh, not, not as far as like on the ground, I'm maneuvering from the, the standpoint of the squad leader, but more from, you know, a company commander's position for an infantry company, maneuvering squads, you know, into, you know, fighting formations, that kind of thing. I don't think that from the first person's perspective, combat should be taught in the virtual realm. And I say that because there's a lot more that goes into that type of thing than just being able to, like you guys are saying, oh, I know I need to lay down smoke to move so that I can't be seen, you know, using concealment. Like, just alone, you know, the the physical fitness that goes along with being able to do the things that combat requires you to do and the virtual element completely negates all of that. Um, the, you know, the, until... Uh, I don't want to get too into the weeds in that, but I just don't think that it's it's uh, a good idea to to use it for people who need to do it for real as a, as a good training environment. I I really don't. I, well, if, if you can, I, yeah, I know that's one of the things in the, in these some of these games is while they may they may real world tactics may apply. The problem that you're I think that you're touching on here, and I think it's a real one, and I don't know that it's avoidable. I think as the future holds with VR and AR, we're going to see it get integrated into training, whether it's the right thing or not. But with that in mind, in Red Orchestra Two, you throw your smoke out and you can sprint you know, a half a mile without getting winded. And in real life, some of the people playing the game get winded getting up out of their chair. So that's a real world problem. I get it. And some of there's some stuff just because I'll touch on this as, you know, with my experience with the VVS, the whole, the virtual battlefield system and, and um, some of my tangential realm of that with, you know, various the U S and, uh, allied countries using it as as a training program um i think i i think you're absolutely right where that shouldn't uh should not it should not in any way replace um you know field training training, right you know uh where it might have a good where it might be a good thing is uh a replacement or a supplement to like your classroom environment uh sort of kind of doing stuff um you know, instead of, you know, moving figures around on a thing or, you know, something up on a whiteboard, you know, like showing guys how to like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, various types of, you know, uh, bounding or, or, you know, how, you know, this, you know, convoy maneuvering and whatnot, shit like that is like, okay, well, we can kind of do the dry run here. Like we would just in our, you know, minds theater a little bit, uh, sitting down but- but what what happens is, and we've seen this happen. Is, that's all they end up doing. Is yeah, the, but it, what ends up happening is that's the cheaper option, right? Yep. The cheaper option yep. instead of sending guys to the range to do live fire drills and movement to contact drills yep. using here's, here's, live fire. Now I now I have a now this commander has the option, and that's that's been vetted quote unquote vetted um, as a training supplement. Now I can just send guys to the VR room that we have, you know, at the battalion to get their, you know, to get their what should be live fire drills on. Instead, they're doing virtual reality drills. And instead of going to the range and crawling, now they're crawling with their virtual reality bullshit. 
Like, and we've seen that already happen with some of the um, medical training. Yeah. Well, that and I mean, I remember. Oh no, there's oh, certain gunnery training I mean, that's, that's done that way. Well, I mean, that's yeah. that's what you know. What that's I think you're touching on what I meant by saying I think it's unavoidable. The reality is the tech is here, and I don't disagree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think that because of its low price and the ability and people thinking, seeing that it could be viable for this, it's going to become an inevitable choice to reduce costs and overhead and supposedly train, like getting your training or your qualification into 25 meters, right? It's not the real thing, but it's cheaper, easier, we'll do it, and there we are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I remember back in 2006, uh, I was at Bragg, and there... I mean, no, I wasn't even at Bragg. No, I was at Fort Hood. It was when I was 11 Bravo. Yeah. So they had this, you know, whole, like you used blank rifles that, you know, we're shooting lasers at a screen. And yeah, you, you were you know, using, uh, it's called laser shot. And you're probably either using a, uh, America's army derivative or a VBS, uh, to run the bad yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, it is just like, I remember they used that, when I was in 11 Bravo for uh, part of the part of the uh, pre-deployment training cycle as like everyone had to cycle through and do this and check the block like and it was absolutely worthless. You know, it more time was spent getting guys cycled through there than they did, you know, cycling guys through certain ranges, you know, like movement ranges as in like moving target ranges. When's the last time? A lot of guys went and actually did moving target ranges. So yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And I don't think that I don't think that we, as in the the panel of people that are on here, should say that like this is my perspective, because I don't I don't want to put out that I think video games like Arma whether I don't care that it's as tactical as it is, I don't think Arma or Call of Duty or uh, Ghost Recon or any of the other video games that are out there, I don't care how good they are, are a supplement for getting out and actually drilling whatever it is the fuck you need to drill. Um, and I don't want to like put out on this panel, at least I don't, that I'm like, oh yeah, this can be used to supplement this training, and it do, it is just as good. I, well, I supplement or, or replacement, I think, the the thing because I don't think it can replace it at all. But if it's not if it's not otherwise t- taking away opportunity to do that stuff, is it does is it hurting? That was what that was what I was going to say. Um, well, what do you think of this? I mean, so so if if you if you're if you think there's a rig a risk here of it being replacing real training, I agree with you. that's a horrible problem. I don't know if it's a problem if it supplements. I'd like to hear your thoughts on why supplementation is bad. But even if it isn't used as a supplement or replacement, what's the risk of it per, uh, inducing training scars on guys that just go home and play it anyway on their own? Okay, so be, okay, I'll put it this way. So this is a a perfect way on what I'm talking about. All right. What is a guy going to get more benefit from? And both of these things are completely available at all times. Let's, let's take on the one hand playing one of these video games or virtual reality or whatever for training CQB. Okay. Reality. You have a weapon that you can use. You can fire that weapon and you have enemies in a room. Is an individual soldier going to get more benefit out of that or dry flowing 
with a stick in his hand, moving into a room and clearing corners. What's he going to get more out of? Ladder. Yeah, the stick. <laughs> the stick, yeah. Oh, I was still muted. So, absolutely. Um, Maybe the I stick. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I would agree with you on, on everything, but maybe room scale VR. It may, it might be able to replace the stick. Um, so but that's I think a maybe. Like, I don't know. So my, my thought on that, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't want to be contradictory, but my thought that comes to mind is I get where you get where the answer is the stick because it's real world. But what about when it's force on force and you can do this ad infinitum infinitely forever where the opposition in the room has the same ability to fight back? After Doesn't that change? Already, after okay. you've already used the stick sufficiently, and you yeah. are, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. So now you've done the stick. You, you're you're there. So now you're going into a virtual room with virtual guns, but there's op four in there, and it doesn't have the overhead, and you have now real human beings that are dealing with one another in a different way. I think it's so, another case of like software versus hardware, where it's going to be the leadership software that has to be fixed because this is going to come no matter what. It's going to be up yeah. to the leadership to not be retarded. And be like, oh, I don't want to like spend money. I don't want to like do another like presentation. Because I, I was talking to like some some guys who are still in. They're like the amount of paperwork that goes in into like field training exercises is insane. And that's why like soldiers aren't getting as much training as they should be. That right there so, is one of the topics that eighty uh, second master gunner and I have talked about many times. And we're that's one of the things primary and secondary is trying to do is trying to consolidate some of this and provide some additional avenues for training because they don't have the budget. They don't have the time. And I see that some people can see, yes, VR could be used for it, but without the basics, without that, without that frame of reference, how do you enter a room without knowing your footwork? How do you go so, through the doorway so also, without where to put those feet? So, so also not just, you know, where do I put the feet or where do I go? But um, until a level of controllability and accountability for what actually happens in the gameplay takes place, then it's not even an option for supplementary. Because oh, if I can't if I can't make corrections on the spot or, you know, I, I guy guys just because you know, okay, so I use this. Um for for a while like Sims, unless you have a lot of training under your belt. What happens when sims start flying? People lose their fucking mind, right? People lose their mind. They stop doing SOPs. They basically, you know, until you have a truly, um, you know, mature force, then then you're like, okay, I'm getting shot at with sims. Let's continue to do the right thing. Um, so what you, what you're going to see is that same kind of thing happen, especially with young soldiers. Or any mill force. I just use soldiers as a vernacular to cover all. Um, but what you see is, as soon as they go into that virtual realm, you know what they were drilling becomes secondary to the natural response of "I'm in a virtual realm." Therefore, these things don't matter as much. And that's where I was talking about before the delusions of grandeur that come along with the virtual realm. You know, guys think that they can bite off a lot more than they really can. So on that note, one, one thing I want to think about that, and I think this is a very interesting conversation. I hope you don't see it as adversarial because I just this is a back. No, no. Okay. So um, oh, I'm sorry. I keep on muting myself. No, not at all. 
Okay, so so on that note, when I first started doing VR, there was actually a level of stress inoculation that had to come to the point where I didn't just lose my shit in VR. And I put a VR helmet on people that came over to visit my house, and uh, one of my friends put the helmet on, and I put him in this game. And I'm not kidding, the guy lost it. He had to take the thing off. He was going to panic in this thing. And now it's turned into I'm an onward, and it's we're just sitting there getting shot at you like I'm taking fire from 2 o'clock, 200 meters. It becomes this kind of the water, the... The, the ferocity level changed and the stress inoculation, even in just a virtual realm, shifted. And if you know something's fake, you know it's fake. And if you know something's Sims, not real bullets, you know it's not real too. So couldn't it be a small version of stress inoculation and you, you can't remove the real world training? But that's where I come to why so, can't it supplement? That goes so, two different directions. Here's, here's what I think. I, I think, honestly, that instead of trying to recreate um, the type of combat situations in a virtual realm to get guys uh, to... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. To go through those exact scenario driven things. I think instead of that, video games, um, where I see them actually being beneficial is, and, you know, Chuck, Chuck always uses this when we teach a course, what is your processor speed? And that is how much information can your brain process, uh, take into account, process, and then act upon that. And that's where video games can flourish for a training realm. Um, that is, okay, I can actually use video games uh, by turning on, you know, letting a guy play a game. He has to, you know, go through a room in his character. But then at the end of the game, that dude needs to be able to tell me every single thing that he did. That's that's where I see video games being a training value. I, you know, being able to, okay, I have, you know, 15 dudes in a room, a long hallway, right? And I'm sending a guy through that. And he has to make a decision on which person in that is actually the threat. And I only give him a limited amount of time. That's the kind of thing, you know, it's again, that's that's too much. It's too much trying to recreate the scenario. But what I'm getting at is, you know, flexing that mental muscle to process information faster and faster and faster. Therefore, in reality, you can then flex that mental muscle again. And, and, you know, you're seeing 
information faster and you're able to process information faster. That's where that training value comes from. I love this conversation. You're touching on something that um, I, I, I once in a while dangerously touch on the concept of using technology as a transhumanist mechanism. And so I, you can't measure this, but I bet you that if you took a human being from 2017 that's been playing video games their whole life and put them up against some of the better soldiers of World War II, I'm not saying that they would win a fight, but I'm saying that neurologically speaking, their ability to intake large volumes of data, translate it into something, and react faster neurologically speaking, I bet you there's a good chance a person from 2017 would smoke someone from 20, from 1945 or even earlier. And is it, has anyone else ever played, uh, like, uh, what is it called, Super Hot on VR? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah that's So fun. that's actually a really interesting thing to me. It's a really cartoony, really goofy, campy game. But you have to evaluate everything because everything's moving in slow motion, and you do have to have that in those moments of like, there's things coming at me from all these angles, and I have to be paying attention to every single aspect of every single entrance of this of this entire room. And it does kind of what you're talking about about like that that idea of instead of it necessarily being the pure training and pure tactical training, it's more of the the how much information can you process at a time kind of thing, and how much how much can you react to at a time. And so it's not exactly a strict tactical whatever, but... Well, no, it's, it's, no, it's not tactical at all. It's really interesting. Oh, Jordan, I'll let you go in a minute. But what's, just to explain to people that haven't played super hot, time only moves when you're moving. So, for example, you'll see a bullet coming at you, and it just stops in the air. And if you move your hands, the bullet moves towards you. And so you can plan to do this matrix thing where you dodge bullets and do all this stuff. And it's all time moves as fast as you move. And it sort of turns into this strategy. It's almost like physical chess where there's a guy there with an axe, guy over there with a machine gun, guy over there with a car. And you have to determine which one's the bigger risk. And you move accordingly. It's a really interesting game. But imagining a game like that taken a little bit more realistically and I think it could be a really good training training scenario because because it could be like a you walk into a room and then things only move when you move, but you have to think about a real scenario that could take place, and you can watch things play out, and you can think like pay attention to all the things that broadsided you and stuff like this. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, there's and, some of that. There's okay. some of that there with. Uh... You know, going back, I'm going to try and touch on a few things here. Uh, like, that's the big difference between, aside from some of the assets and stuff, between uh, the VBS products from Bohemian Interactive and the Arma series, is that the, B, uh, Bohem- the VBS includes their after-action module, uh, which is sitting there constantly recording what every individual person's doing, where they're looking, uh, kind of what's going on, so they can they can go, you know watch you know kind of roll it back and see what everyone was doing on a very uh macro scale um that's just a tool in the toolbox right um you know uh back to the whole like stress inoculation uh sort of point um i i think you that's a double-edged sword because you can definitely um get to the point where you become over inoculated to some of that stuff. Um, I know I'm kind of that way anymore. Um, in like playing Arma and stuff, there'd be times it's like, okay, yeah, they're shooting ass video game, whatever. Despite, despite, you know, times before I've experienced a um, little story time here, I almost passed out playing Arma once. Um, just from pure 
I don't know, this adrenaline and stress and whatnot. Um, just, it was one of those situations. I ended, ended up by myself, a whole squad of dudes coming at me, real dudes, actual people. Uh, the AI wasn't worried about, but, uh, yeah. And that was one of those things. It's like, Oh shit, it's, it's game time now. And you know, I killed them all. And <laughs> nice. But like afterwards, like in the middle of it, it was the walls were coming in and I was legitimately tunnel visioning, could hear my, my heart pounding in my head. Um, and then I cried for like five, ten minutes afterwards, immediately, trying to talk on the radio, just a complete gibberish, tears down my face. Just and this completely... was last night? No, no, this was a couple of years ago. But uh, just completely hit it, like maxed out the whole, the whole, you know, reaction there, right? Uh, and it's just like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm going to have to go take a break because... I need to get my heart rate down. Um, and, you know, that's cool and all, but in terms of, like, actual, like, real world, I, you know, I, you know, I'm of the, of the opinion that, you know, be, being a little bit scared of bullets come at you is probably a good thing. Yeah. I think that on the other side of that, you have video games with a lot of plot armor, like Halo. Like, you have a, a shield that protects you. You can take a lot more hits than you, c- you ever could in real life. Like, uh, one theory I heard from a sniper is that you don't have to, like, necessarily make a killing hit to make a difference in battle. Of course, a killing hit's better, but if you shoot a guy in his pinky, you know, unless he's, like, a battle hard in Chechen or something, you're gonna, like, get a reaction out of him. You're gonna upset his OODA loop, you know? And where it's like, you so, just like, it, remind it, me this shit hurts, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, in VR, it's like, oh, yeah, I can be, like, a hero and charge through the room, no problem. But, you know, in real <laughs> life, you need to have you have to have the right amount of risk assessment. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with that. And obviously, there's, there's no training environment that we know when we go into it, psychologically speaking, that we're not going to have real bullets or real death coming at us, right? So what I, what I mean by that is, so I think that that's pertinent to whatever the VR environment you're in is simulating. So you mentioned Halo, and I agree with you. And you mentioned Call of Duty or, some, or someone did. Yeah, these are games where you run around, you get hit 17 times, you run behind a box, and then you heal. But like, for example, RO2 on the right settings, or Onward, which I keep bringing up, doesn't work that way. Pretty much one bullet ends your day. And so, and there's no respawn. On that particular game, you're dead, it's over, you wait. And so that doesn't, that's not real world by any stretch because it's just VR. But if it's done right, I think that changes that paradigm a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one thing I heard from Gary V, the, the, that like social media guy who talks about stuff, he thinks that uh, VR technology is overhyped at right now. But because like there's, there's not enough people who have it, the people who have it are have experienced it. It blows their mind. I absolutely agree. But uh, it's it's getting there. But the main thing about VR is like ninety percent reality, you know. And then your brain kind of makes that that last jump. I mean, we in the pre discussion, I was talking about how old games in my memory look amazing. Like Goldeneye looks amazing, but like you actually fire up your old N sixty four, all the textures that your brain filled in, all the details, they're not there anymore, you know. So well, I definitely it, think video games more. tap tap into our visceral primal. Uh, senses. I see, I see we lost Walt. I hope we didn't kick him off. But no, no what his, I was, what, his battery died. Oh, this is where that transhumanist thing comes from. And I'm going to touch on that more because that's something I kind of believe in in this regard. If you go back to early film, one of the very first movie was called The Great 
uh, train robbery. And there's a bunch of people in an audience, and the actor points this single-action army at the screen to shoot the bad guys or the good guys. And the people in the audience freaked out, screamed, and ran out of the theater because they didn't have <laughs> a gun being pointed at them. And now we're doing VR where I'm simulating going prone and shooting someone at 200 yards with a G3 in, third, in th- all full three dimensions while having comms. And this is where the human mind and technology has come together to shift how we perceive the world in a way. Yeah, I definitely have great hopes for VR, but uh, I remember reading like some articles when it first started getting big. It's like, yeah, people with like mental illnesses are probably going to have a bad time. People who play like scary games. Like I, I played the Resident Evil demo and it was like hilarious because you know how like uh, amputees can get phantom pain? You can definitely get phantom pain from VR because in this demo, you're just a tied up guy and like you're trying I- to escape. And then you get stabbed in the leg and you look at your own leg and there's like a huge knife sticking out of it. Like, would, oh my God. <laughs> I would agree with that fully. And in fact, and I, this may not be a popular statement, but I don't know if I don't have kids, but if I did, I don't know that I'd put kids into VR. I think it's, it, you need to have a certain level of mental uh, maturity to deal with some of those VR environments because some of them are truly um, intense. Well, and, and, yeah. and some of that, they specifically, I, I think the general consensus is, uh, just from a developmental standpoint, uh, with like balance of world perception and the way your eyes work and stuff, um, that you know anyone under you know any prepubescent person probably shouldn't be anywhere near a VR headset. Um, now that said, I've let my three-year-old nephew run around uh, and chase the little robot dog and 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 uh, the Valve's uh, lab before, and he seems to enjoy that. Um, mm-hmm. And he'll and he'll 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 go chase it, lift off the headset, and go. Oh no! Nope. Right, oh, but I mean, there it is. And could you imagine putting him in some horror VR game? That no, would. No, no, oh no, yeah, no, I don't even like it. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The, the, At the, the same the, time, we don't want we don't want him to play that in like a normal two dimensional screen anyway. But especially in VR. No, no, no. I'm just saying it just a force multiplier, and it makes it even oh, yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm well, saying. That's yeah. like the uh, I I was messing around uh, the Brookhaven experiment. Right? Uh, yeah. No, no, I ain't doing this. This is stupid. Now, had it when had it been like, you know, something I could like run around and do shit right, and and had that full that that full open worldness to it. Okay, I would have been uh, felt a lot better. But it was like it was the the most uncomfortable part of it was okay. So it's this three sixty shooting gallery, but I'm stuck in this like six by totally six box in the middle of an open field, and there's weird zombie shit coming at me. It's like this this that's I don't mind the 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 monsters coming at me. That's that I can deal with that. I've got some I've got some guns. I can run. Okay, we can. This is a problem I can solve. But it was being like stuck in this imaginary box. It was like no, this isn't fun. Oh, for people who don't have, are watching who don't know what this is, it's like a circus and clown themed horror shooter where you're on like a rail, you're on a oh. roller coaster type thing, right? Is that is that the one? No, no, no. The Brookhaven ones, like like a, they're all like ripped or like skinless zombie. Yeah, type. it's some creepy things. Yeah, but the same thing that you're the, the game that you're talking about, same kind of thing. It's just like I don't want to experience that if you're just like stuck. You guys know what that's nah. for, though. It's for you to set up a well. camera and record your parents playing it. This is this is not nearly as exciting, but there's a there's a pool VR game that I play all the time just to get to take a break. I have a relaxing game of pool, and I played it multiplayer against other people. I think it's called Sports Bar. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what? That is incredibly realistic. Once you're, it really is. I mean, you sit there playing pool, and you're like, my God, my pool game's about the same in VR as it is in real life. That was one and of those moments. 
but it was kind of surprising to me. The yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to think. The there's another one over. Anyway. Uh, yeah, the various, like, uh, I don't think it's Pool Hall. It pool Hall had it, too, but there's another, like, uh, this, like, physical arcade game uh, where, like, it's got, like, a, lots of skee-ball and, like, stuff like that. I'm like, hell, this is just as real as it needs to, you know, as real as it needs to be. You know, I can, it's... It's okay. I'm throwing a virtual ball instead of a real ball on some bullshit game, right? Um, you know, and exactly, just like okay, this is what I want to do. That's that's fine, and it works great for that. Um, I prefer in hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades the hand grenade ski ball, um, just because <laughs> why not, right? You know, the other funny thing that's kind of surprised me about the whole thing is that there are actually a few VR games that are, and this sounds stupid, but they're actually a workout. When you're done, you're actually sweating and you're actually sore. <laughs> like, well, there's a few of them. Like, there's one called Hollow Point, which is this archery game, and it gets intense. There's another one that's the Hollow Deck one, where you're playing like racquetball against an AI, and it gets fast enough that um, it's legitimately. Uh, it's not like going to the gym and, and lifting iron, but it's it's a lot better than what a lot of computer gamers have done in the past. Well, and, and well, there's you know, I found that you know any game that's not like pretty much anything room scale that's just not like some like kind of point and click adventure game that actually anything that involves any sort of like actual like moving around, you're gonna you're you're kicking the heart rate up more than you would be playing a you know, playing anything else. Um even like the shooting galleries, you're you're moving around enough to to, to feel it a little bit. Yeah, at the VR panel at PAX last year, I remember like some of the panelists were complaining about like how much physical exertion it took. As you could tell, there was like really skinny chicks or really big guys. They they didn't really work out before, so it's pretty interesting how much VR is probably gonna be better for the human race in terms of physicality and mental <laughs> mental acuity. <laughs> there was a uh, comment on the panel from Wix. Excellent question. For those of you guys that are that are playing with VR. Have you ever damaged anything in your room? I dented a ceiling tile. I've beat it. I've beaten up the controllers more than anything else. <laughs> worst, worst I ever did was knock over a glass of fluid. I had a glass of soda on my desk, and I was like, "Blam!" and knocked it over. But that was the worst I've ever done. So do you know that 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 solar system that's in the that's in the steam or what is it called? The same thing with the archery and the that game what, in the lab. The lab. The lab. It's just a couple labs. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But remember the, the, the solar system one? Where you can play around yeah. and throw around the solar system. I threw Saturn up in the air, and I went to catch it, and then bam! Just like smacked the shit out of my ceiling. So, and then and then now the word the word is like, hey, watch out! The real world is about to hit you. And so that's what we well, and I, usually I, have a spotter. Yeah, I had, I've actually got YouTube video. I'll, I'll throw a link up in uh, YouTube chat or, or somewhere. Um, of me playing around hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades. The, the more recent uh, update, they allowed you the just gravity so i'm like, oh fuck yeah spatial spatial door gun here i come and turned off all the gravity was playing around with that and uh you know i was you know yeah the main thing was like throwing messing around with like zero g grenades and shit and like <laughs> okay can i can i uh can i launch a grenade by just like holding it out in front of me letting the spoon pop off and shoot of a gun and yes you can at least in that <laughs> I think Mythbusters show that 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 would that ruin the grenade. But um, when I was playing around with that, I, like I put, I did some fucking like astronaut noob move and like let go of like a crowbar with a little bit of oomph on it and was just crawling it up into the towards my ceiling trying to catch the damn thing. Um, hey John, I think this would be a, a perfect time for you to tell that quick little story that I really like. Oh, the do you guys ever play? I mean, it's a really dumb game. I'm forgetting the name of all the damn games. Uh, Rec Room. And so Rec Room is just a goofy game. You know, it's 13 and up. You can play online, and you just have this little avatar over your stupid little head, and you play stupid little games. And my girlfriend went off to work, and I just thought I'd spend the afternoon just playing some Rec Room. And so I played some paintball and played some all this and it's colorful, you know, beautiful, wonderful, cartoony environment, paintball and a little bit of tennis and all this crap. And and then I played for probably about an hour and a half and take it off, and I'm in a completely black room, completely alone, completely isolated, and it freaked me the hell out. And that's all. Matt thinks it's hilarious. I have like, I have a like, similar yeah. <laughs> one of my one of my worst VR experience, and this sounds corny, but it's a true thing. I was uh, I was complaining before we started about Windows 10 and its forced upgrades. They're like, you want an upgrade <laughs> now? You're going to take it. it. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm sitting there in VR. I was playing Onward actually. And so I'm running. I was literally running across the street, and there's somebody shooting at me, and the whole thing just went black. It's black. Everything went black. Audio gone. Video gone. Everything went black because my computer rebooted with a with a forced upgrade. But that was a truly that was a moment. For a moment, I, I sat there and I it was stunning, and I took the helmet off, and I'm like, "Oh, this is different than everything I've ever dealt with before." Because it really, it absolutely jacked me up for just a split second when everything just shut down. Have you ever noticed those experiences in between, like loading in like Steam VR, and it'll when your headset will be in one location and you move your head, and then it goes. Yeah, if, if you get any tracking tracking errors, it's like whoa. That is like it's like instant drunk and then instant sober. It's like the weirdest feeling in the world. Be like, ah, I don't like this, and then it's just gone. But my, one of the things that I think that we've been able to do with computer gaming, VR or not, and this is where I go to the sim side and the thing I like, what I think that computing can do for us is it can let us experience something we could never experience otherwise. So in VR, I've walked the deck of the Titanic. I've walked the Hindenburg. I've had 
a dogfight in a World War One aircraft. And if the if it's done right, you can have an experience that you could have never had otherwise. In fact, walking the Hindenburg of the Titanic are places that no longer exist. And there's a there's actually Titanic honor and glory. They have demo three out. You can do it in VR or without VR, but you can actually walk a ship that's been meticulously recreated. And it's something that we could never experience as a human being again. And it's a fascinating thing for me as a history nut to be able to walk around and be like, oh, if I turn right here, here are the elevators. If I turn left, oh, there's the cherub on the freaking staircase that goes to deck A. That's an amazing experience. You know, mm-hmm. to, to branch onto that or branch off to that conversation or that topic, the opportunity to do things you normally wouldn't be able to. Considering the demographic that are really into this, this really fits with what uh, Roy has been talking about, where VR really is going to uh, sell. Roy, what were those two subjects? Oh, the, the main driver for VR is absolutely going to be guns and porn. And so the shooting yeah, video games. They're not going to have stuff. access to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, Patreon is uh, like going crazy with VR-based stuff. It's mostly uh, bootstrap stuff. That's the thing that I think is interesting. VR takes a ton of uh, uh, firepower or support to get the software created. But, you know, I feel like I'm pretty sure the violence side of things is going to drive the development a lot more. Well, most of mankind's history has been driven by violence and sex. So porn <laughs> and guns on the Internet are going to push VR. There's no doubt about it. That's absolutely true. And men it's going to fuck some people sex, up. So. Yeah. I mean, it's going to like gonna really fuck up people in Japan. You know what I mean? Like they already right. have problems with like, like 30 year old virgins and shit. It's like, well, oh, it, man. It, bring, it, it brings, it does bring up moral questions, but that's another conversation about what happens in VR. Is it moral or immoral? If it's not real, there's a lot of things that can happen there. That's a weird question. Yeah. Cause it's, it's closer and closer to reality. And then like, eh, you know, like I mean, we're talking, you're talking Blade Runner here, right? Is it okay to rep? Yeah. Is it okay to rape a replicant? I don't know. That's where VR is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Westworld is a more contemporary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, uh, I've always been fascinated by the whole cyberpunk thing. It's been kind of a quintessential part of my just, you know, part of the reason I'm in InfoSec is because of the whole cyberpunk thing. I, I find it fascinating. And it, it's, it's, it's fascinating and scary at the same time because it seems like in many ways we're actually moving into that cyberpunk dystopia. Yeah, yeah. Has, has anyone else played uh, the silly little experience accounting from the Rick and Morty people? Because uh, that was not have, It's really funny. I've, I've, I've played, played the demo. accounting yeah. and uh, and the actual Rick and Morty VR game. Oh, okay. Because the accounting thing was something that I first experienced, and I had to have my girlfriend in the room the whole time because the experience was so uncomfortable that I wanted to like check back to reality every so often. Just because really? it was. Wait, oh, wait, how so? This is when I barely first got VR, and so this was, like, one of the very first experiences I had with it. And it was, like, when you have to cut the guy. Yeah. It oh, was just I like, guess I'm I just crazy because I had no problem sticking that knife in that dude. That was so, but he was so big and gross and slimy, and he just makes it so uncomfortable. We got to do, do screen share more. I, wa- I want to see what you guys are talking about. I only got, like, oh. you know, demos and play at friends' houses and yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> so let's get into realism, textures, going from the beginning of somewhat realistic games to where we are now. Because I, I really appreciated what Roy said about uh, the textures that his, that his mind held on to. And then well, looking at where we're at now, uh, what is it? The, what's the gun game that I really like that I 
knew how to operate the guns, and it was like, oh, you actually do this. And Probably hot dogs, oh. horseshoes, and hand grenades. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that's, I think marketing has driven this, but I think the developers in video games have missed the mark um, in terms of what's important to immersion. Um, there's been a big push for, you know, these near photorealistic graphics and stuff. And I, I think VR is a good illustrator of if you do, you, if you put in the work on some other immersive elements, uh, the graphics and visuals are probably the easiest thing for your brain to fake and fill in the gaps and, and, and probably the least important to the whole, uh, immersive experience. Um, I, I think I think sound I think the sound design and soundscape um, and just the the physical modeling of the world and how it works are probably uh, bigger uh, or more important to someone's immersion and and belief in 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 the world than the graphic fidelity. Um, now some that said, you know, the first time you get a bad animation and some dude's hand goes through a wall or a gun or something, then that's that's causing you to fuck up, right? But uh, you know, you know, super like 4K textures on some fucking rock and a, you know, on the <laughs> ground or something. It's not doing anybody any good in terms of of believing the simulation, right? Yeah. I, I agree with you the graphics are important, but it's not all about graphics. I mentioned earlier System Shock 1 and 2, and you know, those are those are dated games now at this point. But I'll tell you honestly, and again, I'm nerding out on this, but System Shock 1 and 2, Citadel Station and the so the Rickenbacker, which was the ship in System Shock 2, to me are real places. I it yep. feels to me I've been yeah. there. I can, yeah. I can describe well, it like that's a real place. We just seeing just seeing your avatar makes me remember the experiences of going through and walking around and being like scared out of my wits, you know. <laughs> we we do this we do this every couple of years in in, in Shack Tack is is there's always some push to go, okay, let's go let's go play have a session playing OFP or Arma or something. And it's like, guys, have you fired that thing up, you know, recently? Because it's a lot worse than you ever remembered it being. Um, you know, you, your your brain at the time filled in a lot of the gaps, and nostalgia or that effect of of time, uh, amount of time between then and now, uh, really filled in a lot of the gaps. Um, well, even so, with that, System Shock Two is a good example. I played through that again just a month or three ago. I, currently, I'm I'm playing through uh, Fallout Two again. I just well, finished like, Fallout uh, One. Some games, you know. Are just awesome, yeah. and and, and I, System that. Shock Two doesn't. You know what? System Shock Two didn't didn't age that badly, and there's there are um, skin upgrades for it that make it look a lot better. But System Shock Two is still, to this day, as long as you get it running right, is pretty pretty immersive. Yeah. Well, I look agree. at look at uh, look at Half Life Two. It it's as you know if you if you haven't played Half Life Two lately, it's 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 it it's stands still up. pretty it's, good. Yeah, it's yeah, as good yeah. as it, is, it ever was, right? Um, oh, and someone was saying that there's a VR upgrade for Half Life Two. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's official. Yeah, there's an official one. Too. Yeah, okay. Cool. Like I, I think there's some, there's some, uh, you know, uh, me and Carl have talked about this a little bit, but uh, um, some the movement system, me, movement mechanisms in VR um, is no one's found the universal like the universal bullet for that one right yet. Um, like I can't, 
you know, I like I like the idea of Onward, and I own it. I can't play it for more than a, a minute or two at a time. What's uh, actually what is the movement style for Onward? It's trackpad, and you it's smooth movement. And you're just using the trackpad. Is it is it is it a gradual thing, or is it just yeah? A, yeah it's all it, proportional okay. and everything, okay. but uh, that's how you're moving, and you're just zooming around that way. So, there's two like I, I just got raw data a while ago, and that's the first game that I have not done the the, the trackpad. All of a sudden, I'm doing the teleporting because for yeah. that game, there's a lot of crap, and I'd rather teleport and confuse the enemy. Yeah. And so that's really fun. But I found there was uh, I forgot what it's called right now. But there's one where you actually hold your. It's like a dungeon. Oh, it's dungeon VR hunter or something like that. I'll look up the name. But uh, it's actually where your hand touches the pad. And you actually move your arms yeah. in the direction, yeah. and I love that. Yeah, Clim- climby is another one that that climby does a really good one. Has, like that, that, yeah. has that kind of ski shuffle, and I found that worked a lot better for it me than the, smooth, great. Yeah. than the uh, than the uh, the little smooth thing. No, I also recommend climby for anyone uh, because it's basically VR like Super Mario World, like mm-hmm. a big platformer and jumper and stuff, and that will. If you've got a fear of heights, that game will cure you absolutely. It is a total knee wobbling gut check uh, of a game. You're doing a lot of like weird jumping and and throwing yourself around, and it's just like, man, if you ever had an aversion to jumping off an edge or something, this you're either not going to be able to play this game or that's going to be fixed. Um, because yeah, it's definitely that's you know that's a weird sensation. There is in, in VR jumping and fall, free fall into a platform and feeling your knees get all weak and wobbly and ready for that impact. Um, and that kind of sympathetic, uh, like little dip you, you do anyways, when you, when you hit the virtual ground, you know, that's interesting. This is, this is wildly off topic of video games, but it's on topic with VR in that, um, there has been, and I don't know to what level or extent, but there's been the experimentation or at least some level of with VR as a uh, psychological aid, as well as for trying to treat PTSD. Oh yeah. I I, I believe it. Yeah. There's definitely, I I think in terms of uh, various, you know, uh, psychological therapy, I think there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a potential there that can be exploited. I think. So while we've been talking about a bunch of games that uh, a lot of people haven't played because they're so new, we should talk about games that people haven't played because they're so old. Now, I remember back in the 90s, like there was a uh, it was very difficult to get realistic games. And I brought this up uh, previously, but uh the Unreal Serpentine mod in my mind was as realistic as Avatar. But if you take a look at this right now, well, look at this shit. It hasn't it's aged terrible. <laughs> like uh, in my mind, it was like as as real as realism. It, like my memories of shooting the AUG against bots and stuff in this game are as, as realistic as the memories I have of shooting an actual AUG. Well, why is it that we do that? Like, why does our brain fill in those gaps? That's what I'm trying to figure well, that's, out. That's that's why. That's it's what our weird. brain's doing all the time. Yeah, you're constantly going around filling in oh, gaps. So- you know, I mean, but our all eyes your... are seeing really high resolution, but in that situation, we're seeing really low polygon, low, low yeah. resolution. No, and you know, you know when you're looking at everything? When it's text. 
Yeah. <laughs> this was a real play. You're doing the sword that. Dungeon was a real place. Yeah. Well, and that's like uh, you know, just kind of the form of like memory compression and whatnot is mm-hmm. we're not going to remember every every little detail of the room. We're just going to hit remember the the layout and some of the big points, and we're going to fill in the rest of the shit. Right? We're not going to waste we're not going to waste the memory space on uh, you know essentially the per pixel. Uh, memory of something right uh mm-hmm. you know it's kind of the idea of instead of a high resolution uh high resolution photograph we're just going to get like the vector uh line art of the whole thing in our head and uh just roll with that as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Have you guys uh, played the, uh, the, the Golden Eye Source? Yeah. When I play Golden Eye Source, that's how I remember it. Yeah, that's how you remember it. Not on the N64, for sure. And, yeah. But it, and I think that's how you experienced it at the time, too. As soon as you played the game for more than 10, 15, 20 seconds and got sucked into it, its fucking like Jumanji world thing, <laughs> you, were, you were in it, right? Uh, yeah. And it was the only, RP90, like Walt was saying. The, R, the RCP90? Yeah, I'm still... Yeah. Man, I still, if I ever get a P90, I'm getting like a wood grain dipped on that stock or whittling one out of wood or something. Yeah, so I think like GoldenEye had pretty realistic guns. Unreal Serpentine was one of the first. And then Counter-Strike. I think Counter-Strike was the watershed moment. Because, you know, it was like a mod done by like a college yeah, yeah. kid I mean, in like 1999. The first Counter-Strike they were reversed. was they had I guess pretty animation good at the time. Crazy. Yeah. Everything was reversed and they were you know pulling on forward assist instead of charging handles and whatnot he was like a 20 year old like kid yeah left-handed college kid kid didn't know any better so (laughs) we'll we'll give you a we'll give you a pass you know and not and and you know you're getting into the whole world of modding which we can talk about and i think should talk about um you know where a lot of that stuff was easily corrected um uh you know, like the the entire, you know, talking about you know, moddings, you know, we were talking about the Serpentine mod and stuff and some of the other ones, you know, uh, 
modding is probably the single reason PC gaming is is what it is versus console. Is that you know the 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 player base of a lot of these games have really been able to take ownership of it. Uh, you know that's something like Bohemian Interactive, with the OFP and Arma series is really. Uh, it's pra- frankly, it's the only reason they're still in business is because they've embraced and they've embraced the 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 modding of their of their platform and have actually brought a lot of modders. You know, a lot of a lot of their employees started off as mod- players and modders of their earlier games. Oh yeah, Valve Software says the same. If you want to yeah, work for yeah. Valve, make mods. Prove yeah, make a good good hired. source mod and you're you're gonna have a good foot in the door, right? Um, well, and that's the thing is like the the group of guys I've played with, you know, a lot of us started we we're college kids, and you know, and there's a number of them working working for Bohemia now because yeah, I've got a degree in history or whatever, but uh, um, you know, I probably I know your your scripting and mission making code probably better than anyone else, better than the guy <laughs> who wrote the damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Here's a game a lot of people may not remember, but I spent many Saturdays dropped off at the arcade by my mom with quarters to defeat this game. The Dragon's Lair, the original yeah. laser be, disc game. Be prepared on that. That's going to be the cool new thing because I saw that in the Stranger Things Stranger Season 2 yes. uh, trailer. Yep. That new trailer is amazing. So, so I got ready. to the point where I'd sit there and I with 50 cents, I could play the entire game and beat it without dying and it would attract an audience and it's a fond memory. Nice. <laughs> that's that's like uh, I you know I kind of mentioned the full full motion capture game right, uh, like playing Police Quest SWAT, uh, and all the Police Quest ones. Yeah, I, I've still got those somewhere. Oh, the Command and Conquer movies. Oh Remember yeah, those? that too. Yeah. yeah, and the Wing Commander where they had like fucking Luke Skywalker was the actor for oh, Wing Commander. God, that was a bad Paul. era. Whenever when the CD came out, yeah. everyone thought the answer to gaming was to just throw really crappy video into the game. And well, uh, make- well, that's what that's that's what happens when when the storage medium was way cheaper than processing power. Agreed, but there were some good ones. There were some good ones. Did you? I, I really loved and finally beat the seventh guest. That was fun as hell. And I had this less than one X speed CD-ROM drive, and it would like jittery audio and video, and it was completely involving. It was really cool. I but, remember when CD-ROM speed mattered. Like you had to have like a sixteen X CD-ROM player, or else like you can't play this game, loser. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your memory management, too, because you had to have enough low memory for the game to run. You know, being using a computer back then, you had to be a hacker just to make the damn thing run. <laughs> yeah, CD, dash, dash, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I have all, all the DOS commands. They're all coming back to me. Crap. Okay, so we talked a little bit about bad bad models. What about inaccuracy in video games, Battlefield 1? <clears throat> Well, that's a pain point for me in particular, to be honest with you, because being that in-range is, of course, closely related to Forgotten Weapons, although they're separate channels. Um, Forgotten Weapons, we, we both on in-range, we also do what we shoot a lot of old guns from World War One and World War II at matches and stuff, and therefore um, get constantly asked questions about stuff, and Battlefield 1 is forming people's opinion about this stuff, and it is so absolutely ridiculously wrong that the perception is that that's how those things handle. I mean, like, for example, one of the videos I saw was some guy running down the, you know, the top of a, of a, of a Zeppelin, jumping off onto an airplane with a tank of air, landing on the ground and destroying a tank. You can't even pick up a damn tank of air and run 10 yards with it, but in the game, they're running and gunning with it. And this really concerns me because 
I think that while it will influence a certain small percentage of the gamers to like learn more, they'll be like, oh, I want to learn about World War One. The reality is, to me, Battlefield One is so is so irresponsible about how it treats the actual source material that they are now influencing and affecting perception of history in a negative way. Well, it's, that's probably been the case in, in anything like that. I'm trying well, to think of, of... Jordan, there's ways to be respectful, right? Like you and oh, I yeah, talk... Yeah, yeah, no, there's, like, so Red Orchestra was, 2 is the right blend between realism and fun. It's not super tactical, but it does. It, it serves the purpose, and they like went to Stalingrad and modeled real places. Battlefield yeah. 1 is just absolute ludicrous, and it's become the perception about World War War One was. Yeah, you know, the first time, this is going to sound so stupid, the uh, the first time I ever had any sort of like, uh, you know, like stress reaction, I guess, I, I don't want to say PTSD, but uh, was from Red Orchestra 2. I played Red Orchestra, when it first came out, it was the cool hot thing to play. Played like 12 hours of it, right, one day. I couldn't sleep that night because all I could hear were uh, PPSH 41s in my head. Just constantly little submachine gun fire in my head. Like, just sitting in bed. I'm like, this is stupid. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Red Orchestra 2, like, if you want to look at, like, the, the you know... Um, a, a historical game that that handled the historical stewardship correctly. Uh, it's you know that's a good example of that. Absolutely. And by the way, when in World War One, there are there's two games on the market right now that compete against one another in that regard. Battlefield One, which is the AAA title from a huge company, tons of marketing behind it, absolutely historical nonsense, which is of course hugely popular and making tons of money. And while I don't particularly love the game, it's a decent game. Verdun, which is actually respectful of the topic is this little small indie thing that's never going to get the same level of acclaim. And that's something that concerns me about this kind of stuff. And that's why VR has been fun for me because it's a smaller niche audience that's getting a, like a higher level of intellectualism applied to it. But when you see things like BF1, which is literally making a joke of a serious topic, and Verdun that's treating it respectfully, but only one is popular, it kind of concerns me. Oh, yeah. It's like the, the, the value systems test. It's like, do you want playability and popularity and tons of money? Or, you know, like you said, uh, they kind of just threw the respectfulness nature. Are they respecting reality and how it was like, just right out the window for the sake of playability? Well, and at the end of the day, yeah, who sure knows <laughs> wants a fucking mud trench simulator, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I get that. I totally get that. But, like, Verdun at least makes the game. It's a, Verdun's still fun. But it's respectful of the topic, and it even gives like little historical vignettes, and it talks about like this battlefield had this or that happen in it. And in Battlefield One, you can't even find a friggin' trench, at least not in most of the maps. It's completely weird. I am super excited about the new video game based on the movie Dunkirk. We you basically wait in line, and then you get on a boat, and it gets sunk. You, well, you drink some awesome. tea, and then yeah. Messerschmitt One Hundred Nine like just like strafes you, and then you're dead. It's gonna be yeah. an awesome, <laughs> awesome. You game. know, uh, great movie, but yeah. John caught, caught me playing a little bit of Dunkirk, the video game, this afternoon. Uh, I jumped in War Thunder, and they, the in part of it, they've been playing on and have had a special event running for a while. Uh, where that I was flying Spitfires and Hurricanes uh, between that. Um, spent two hours doing that. You know, the first time out, I I was not paying attention and ran out of fuel, so that was fun. 
Wait, there's an actual Dunkirk video game? You guys aren't joking? <laughs> no, well, it's it's it. War Thunder, which is, you know, uh, uh, and they just, okay, it's like, well, we're going to, you know, we've got the, the English Channel already, you know, as a map and all the planes and stuff. So, okay, well, it will adjust the weather and, you know, only allow these planes to fly then and stick it on realistic mode and go to town nice. and have fun. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just because the the, uh, the listeners and the viewers may not be familiar with this, our buddy Chuck, a.k.a. Roland, is a big video gamer. Right now, uh, Walt is doing us a big, big favor in trying to get him on because I guess he has some awesome stories with Fallout 4. Well, so, if we're going to get in the war stories... Yeah, here. exactly. Uh, like... Uh, like- he will have everyone in here die laughing. Yes. His, his experience with Fallout 4 uh, differs from, well, pretty much anyone that I've talked to. You know. <laughs> Isn't it because I, you're not a fan and you're influencing this? Well, okay. So my idea with Fallout 4 was it was absolutely made for consoles, and Bathsheba completely turned their back on the PC uh, community in how they built that game, and it was released as a clear port to PC with tons of bugs. So I picked it up and immediately returned it onto the Steam store because you couldn't even run it at 60 frames per second without moving at double the pace when the, when the game <laughs> So, yeah, uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, his stories are just hysterical. I don't know. He's I don't know. what uh, I know he had a week where he was doing adventures. So, you know that. Uh, that's interesting. When I look at this panel that we have here tonight, everyone here is computer-focused. And um, I find that's – or at least seem to be. And that's interesting because that's actually, I think, the minority. And I was I said when we started, or at least I don't remember if it was pre-show or during the show, I started off as a hardcore computer gamer, you know, Zorg, Bard's Tale, System Shock. And then the console sort of took the foreground. And frankly, the console thing where your entire interface is a couple buttons and some, you know, some, uh, some sticks – was not the intellectual exercise that I'm interested in for my computer gaming experience. So I think it ruined it for me. And I put computer gaming away for a long time and only recently sort of had a rebirth for me with Red Orchestra 2, Rising Storm 2, VR has changed it for me. But for me, and I don't mean to offend anyone, consoles completely ruined it and it changed the game. Well, I I don't think, I I don't think it's actually consoles, but the, the, the cost of entry well, no, no. The it was the the barrier of entry to making a console game versus a PC game, right? So you've basically got a big a big full time real legit studio to make a console game, you know, in the last twenty years. Uh, so you know, as soon as you got that, you had you know big money basically got involved, and the game had to you know. But you know, early in the development cycle, you had to have a game. You had to prove that we were going to make money with this, right? Um, so, you know, the 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 basically complete lack of barrier uh, to making a PC game. I mean, as long as you've got a dude and you can compile it and here throw it on the internet, right? It's released, uh, which allowed a lot of stuff to. Um, you know, people do weird shit and experimentation and these weird little niche games and stuff. Um, like so, Minecraft. Yeah, Minecraft, exactly. You know, if you wanted to take the real, the uh, the best probably rags to riches uh, sort of story there of independent, you know, some dude in his garage making a video game, that's it. 
Um, you know, and that's, I, I, I think that's, it's, Seri- I, I think it's a matter of seriousness and and which uh, and and depth and complexity there that comes along with someone taking stuff seriously, um, and and console games typically have to be kept a lot more accessible uh, than a PC game because they've got to sell ten million of uh, ten million copies or they're going to lose money on the deal. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, well, and this is what this is. This goes right into the Fallout Four problem. I mean, I go back to the old days of the original Wasteland, which, by the way, is Brian Fargo and Interplay and the original Bard's Tale team. And the original Wasteland was this really interesting um, role-playing game that took freaking months, if not a year, to finish. And then we're back at Fallout Four, which is push a button, mash a button to kill Wolf, which is not the same thing. So I, I've asked this question when I've been at. Um, the studio when I've been consulting or whatever, I'm because I'm a diehard PC guy, and I'm like, hey, why is it that you guys, you know, it's obvious in some games you're you're building it specifically for consoles, and one of the big things is nowadays um, is that because there's such a diversity of power out there when it comes to PCs it is easier for especially smaller studios uh, to build for the set profiles that are consoles. It is easier for them to get their content picked up by major studios because it's predetermined. You will build, you know, your, your, you know, uh, your graphical rate at this much, you will do this many, you know, whatever. Um, you've got one or two sets of hardware you've got to yeah. you've got to build the game around. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to PCs, you you know there is are you building it for the 1080 Ti where that's like you know on the you know very cusp of you know what's able to be played at this point, or are you building it for the guy that still has a 470 in his computer? You know, and and they, and they have to take that variance into account, otherwise they alienate a complete market. So if they build it for consoles, they get a bigger As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lump sum of money. But, and here's the big but. 
there is not a single game developer person that has worked in the studios that I worked in that will say that the game was not going to play better on a PC. The ability to play the game the way games were supposed to be played uh, is completely better, well, for most games on a PC. I, I, I admit that, like, fighting games... Now, now you're a walking NVIDIA commercial here, right? But it's, well, it's not just... The way it's meant to be played. Well, I totally agree with the technological perspective of it, but I think the biggest holdback in terms of console versus PC isn't even that. The biggest hold holdup has been the interface, right? So with a console, you've got this wonky Batwing controller or whatever. Uh, with the PC, you've got a full keyboard. You've got a mouse. Now we have VR with, with that. So VR on a console could change that because if the interface is virtual, then it could be the same regardless. But the the, the minute they took away my mouse... And gave me this Batwing thing with two sticks on it. I was out because I couldn't play anymore. I didn't like it. Well, you know, you know, uh, War Thunder is one of the first kind of big games that's that uh, is uh, multi-platform uh, multiplayer. Um, and the PC guys will literally fly circles around the PlayStation Four guys. Um. It's just there's um, the con- the extra control fidelity, and just like I don't know the the type of person who plays that plays the that game on a PC versus PlayStation Four is completely different, and it absolutely shows when you put them head to head against each other. Wasn't there a game a first person shooter where that was going to be the case? You were going to have console and PC together. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what game. I can't remember what game that was, but they tried it and. The PC discrepancy wins. was so great that it's like this. This cannot. We can't allow. We can't let this happen. They, they stopped server support for the multiplayer servers because it was complete destruction. Anyone who was on PC just absolutely annihilated both X because it was Xbox, uh, PlayStation, and PC all playing on the same server, and uh, like the console just got annihilated. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of that, that reminds me of another thing I wanted to. to uh, uh, talk about was you know we kind of got on earlier um, how if you get a good group of guys or or people you know we'll, we'll keep the PC there right yeah uh, wait PC what no I and that that said you know uh, the group I play with we've we've been we I think better than most in that regard uh, you know we've, we've been able to keep like you know like a ninety eight to two percent kind of ratio on on male to female. Uh, which is probably better than uh, most a lot of places, especially you know the kind of games we play. But anyways, the uh, uh, back to like the the essence of teaching like teamwork and unit cohesion and communication and stuff. Um, I found that you know out of this core group of a group of people I play with, we could go jump in another game that none of us have ever played before and start you know, uh, this weighing lace to servers and stuff just because of, of um, our ability to play together. Um, and we have that kind of inherent, like, um, you know, kind of teamwork and we understand what each, or how each other plays and moves and conducts themselves. And we're able to effectively communicate with each other. Uh, and we just run circles around other people. Uh, well, a bunch you know, of us, on, go ahead. Oh, a bunch of us did that in day Z. We were all yeah. fairly new to the game, but we were able to figure out where we were. We reorganized and 
were fairly effective. Yeah. You know, yeah, anybody, go ahead. Anybody can actually, you know, you know, he's got that ex, uh, experience to the communicating in a meaningful way to each other, uh, and and you know, being able to trust each other and whatnot. That goes a long way in, in, in that sort of multiplayer uh, uh, environment. Well, I was going to say that on that note about things getting kind of watered down, this is an example. I put up this, I have the icon for Ultima Online. When Ultima Online first came out, I was absolutely obsessed with it, to be honest with you. It was this working was economy. I was a tester. Well, I know. It was amazing, though. You'd walk through this world, and you could, you could literally be the naked guy in town stealing something out of someone's pouch without them knowing it and get away with it. And then... A couple of years into it, you had like your castle, and you could like you meet someone on the street in Ultima Online, and you didn't know this guy a bad guy, this guy a good guy. Can I trust him? Can I not trust him? It was a really interesting, fun dynamic. And then all of a sudden, it turned into oh, only server X is player versus player now. And suddenly, that whole idea of not knowing what you were dealing with, or the fact that you could be a thief or a little rogue in town stealing from the rich guy's pouch to to be the bad guy, went away. And it dumbed down the game, became worthless. I just deleted my account and gave up. And so much of online gaming and multi, multi massively multiplayer online gaming has turned into the, to another goddamn safe space. And that's not what it should be. It's an you interesting know, place to be something else. You, you should look up like a lot of the, the videos the first couple of years of DayZ. Because this is absolutely a case study in kind of this, you know, ultra-libertarian open-world kind of game behavior. And when you throw a bunch of people together and, and just turn them loose, essentially, what you're going to end up with. And comes to find out you're going to end up people find people you know you know capturing people and feeding them force feeding them bleach and stealing their shit and and leaving them behind and all sorts of like thun- like legitimate thunderdomes and shit like that uh and you know, with that with that kind of stuff i can't play as the bad guy even in role-playing games uh, i can't be a bad guy it's... Well, that's what I'm saying is that there was, like, I didn't always play as a bad guy in Ultima Online by any stretch of the imagination, but the reality was that there were bad guys and you couldn't yep. tell. And there were also good guys. You remember you all. You were a beta tester, you said. You'd, you'd get a, a party together. You'd go in the dungeon. You'd all be working together and everybody's doing this thing and you're defeating the dragon or whatever. And suddenly when everybody's on their last hell point, there's one guy that takes out the dagger, goes and stabs all five people and takes their stuff and runs away. And Leroy to me, Lincolns? that was what? interesting. It was a weird and interesting dynamic what? that they took away. The really interesting thing about DayZ, so, okay, yeah, chat's figured it out, so fuck it. You know, and in Tech, we got, I think we were the 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 first outside group to uh, to get to play DayZ outside of, like, Rocket's crew down there in Australia or New Zealand or wherever they're at, uh, we're at at least. Um, so, it, like, we were playing, it was, you know, a whole big group of us, uh, playing and playing with them and it was fine we just walked around and shot zombies and found shit had a good old time uh and it continued that way until like and then as soon as like the public like normal like the world started playing it the game completely changed it was no longer about zombies it was about dealing with uh with everyone else right uh, with with people, and and you'd see regional differences too, where the the hostility of 
of people were different from like the Russian servers to the European servers to the American servers. Um, you know, you could, you could just see the way, the way that all worked. It's like, Oh wow. Okay. This is different. Um, and I just thought it was, it was fun that, that, uh, that, that was like a wholly unexpected dynamic, uh, in that game that kind of came out of nowhere that just, you know, it organically happened. Um, I guess that's it. It's just interesting to be in a position to see that go from, well, this is what we intended to do, and this is how the game actually ended up, and that being two drastically different things. Well, that's what happened with Ultima Online. Ultima Online, you couldn't just go be a a, a griefer because let's say, for example, you were that naked rogue in town stealing from the guy. You essentially kind of had this like background roll of the dice. And if you failed the steal, the local town guards would come kill you. So there was this concept of law and order zones, but you could still get away with shenanigans. And so it worked in a really interesting way. The reason UO changed or Ultima Online shifted was that they stopped making money because the average person didn't want to play anymore because it was too hard. Well, and then there's Eve, and uh, only Russians I'm, like that game. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the I'm not the guy for the sp- space spreadsheets, but uh, you know that's a whole nother like a whole nother world, right? I mean, what goes on in that game is insane compared to kind of what we're talking about. I like the articles that people write about the the year-long intrigue and backstabbing and corporate espionage that happens. and Just like how how much the EVE economy is worth in real money and like, oh, there's like an insane battle in EVE Online and like $100,000 US dollars worth in battleships were destroyed, you know. It's pretty pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, the, the average person doesn't want to play that. I think like the average person wants to play like World of Warcraft for like thirty minutes and then go drink beer and bang the wife and go to sleep. You know? <laughs> yeah, I played Eve a couple times. Played it a bunch. Kind of lost everything I had and said screw this and deleted the account. Then came back. <laughs> same same exact thing a couple years later. Yeah, not not so much of the fun. In terms of like my casual stuff anymore, I just play War Thunder in a semi troll mode. <laughs> not like not like trolling people, but in kind of a just kind of a silly way of doing it of playing. Like uh there's like this little US uh what is it, the the Locust, the M twenty two. It's a real like three man light tank, like a little almost tankette sort of thing with a thirty seven millimeter gun. And I'll just drive around like an insane person and, and and fight stuff like two or three different levels up above me. I don't give a shit. It's just it's <laughs> it's fun and it's really fun when you're actually you get that like golden BB into a turret ring or down their barrel or something <laughs> and and you blow them up. Um, it's just like yeah, you just got killed by you know this little you know fucking armored go kart. Um, oh. Oh, speaking of like uh like fun like casual games, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. It's like kind of like a hipster game right now that everyone's playing. So for people who don't know what it is, it's like uh, battle royale basically. Yeah, and uh, you the your everyone's airdropped onto a small island, a hundred people, and then there's like guns and armor and items scattered around. But 
the amount of space that you're allowed to play in decreases very quickly. So no round lasts longer than 30 minutes, basically. Because uh, you, you just start killing each other off, like, one by one. I've played, like, 50 minutes worth, but it's actually been, like, you know, like, 10 rounds worth. Because I always die in, like, the first five minutes, you know. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty cool. I do want to become a better at it at some point. But I think it's the perfect blend of playability and uh, time. Kind of like Overwatch well, does. And, and, and from a, from a game design idea... You know, as, as kind of a genre almost, it's kind of a spinoff of what of what developed out of Daisy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mechanics that are the same. Um, no, where I think they've done done well is come up a, of, with a compelling game mode that uh, you know, yeah, uh, is a thirty or forty five minute at the most kind of game experience, right? Uh, that's kind of the sweet spot I think for a lot of stuff is if you. Unless you're playing like the true, honest to god long game, and we're talking, you know, weeks worth of actual, you know, just raw hours uh, playing a game, um, that's you know, forty five minutes should be your your target experience length, right? Uh, anything shorter than that's kind of shallow. Uh, anything longer than that, in, at least in, a, in sort of a uh, uh, in a single mission or or kind of um, Scenario uh, maybe too long. Uh, uh, I, it, that comes from my experience playing Arma. Is is the mission links that I've I've found that I enjoy. Uh, you know, when it starts dragging into two or three hours, it's like, yeah, this is less. This is not the right tempo. I guess is what I'm getting at for for what I'm wanting to get out of a game. Uh, do you get more enjoyment when you succeed in a two hour, two to three hour mission though? <laughs> Oh no, no! Most of the time in uh, in Arma, I'm looking for the glori- most glorious death possible. Um, <laughs> you know, winning's fun, but you know, dying in a blaze of glory is a lot, lot better. I mean, I I, I totally agree with him. I, I think like that that 45 minute mark, or you know, a, a single round of a game, uh, you know, 45 minutes. I, if I start getting into a game that goes longer than that, then I start to feel like I'm doing work. You know, I start feeling like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, exactly. Like, I got other things I got to do, and at this point, you know, I could care less if we're to lose, but, you know. Oh. You know, and another thing that hits that, that, that same time window correctly is, like, a uh, Counter-Strike, com- like, casual competitive, like, scrim. You know, where it's, you know, you're playing, like, five rounds and five rounds, or 10 and 10, or 15 and 15. Somewhere in there, that length of that chunk, uh, that's that's a good chunk, right? Um, uh, I that was I I haven't played it in a couple of years, but there was a point there where I was playing a lot of casual competitive uh, CS:GO, wow. and uh, um, really really enjoyed enjoyed again enjoyed that sort of pace and tempo, and 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 like on time length, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the, another thing that, that occurred uh, to me is that one of the things that shifted in gaming in general that also made it less interesting for me was that there was no sense of gain or loss. So for example, I remember, I don't remember what the first first person shooter I shot that played that there wasn't even the concept of a health kit. You'd hide behind a wall and you'd just regenerate health. So like early days of like some of the role-playing games, Bard's Tale I brought up, you'd be deep in a dungeon three weeks into this game and you'd lose a fight and your entire party died. 
holy shit, you'd panic and try to pull the plug out of the wall because it would delete your characters. It's all gone. It's over. You start <laughs> over. And that made the game. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Game more interesting, more exciting, more enticing. And it seems like so many games now, there's no real losing. There's only winning. You just have to play oh, long enough to do the it. The new Prince of Persia, if you fall off a cliff, like, well, Neo as in like four years ago, but, but like, uh, if you fall off a cliff, like your companion has, uses magic powers to pick you back up. Because <laughs> the old Prince of Persia, you just fucking die. Yeah, and wasn't, wasn't that, the original game more fun as a result? I think so, but it's like back in our our generation, like we played Mega Man, right? That shit was hard. Like you, you, there, there's no guarantee you're gonna beat a game when you buy it if you bought Metro. it in the '90s, right? Metro. Now it's like every game you you can like sleepwalk through it and you probably could beat it within like eight hours or so. I totally agree. Like that that whole thing started. The whole regeneration of life thing started with Call of Duty Modern Warfare. That was the first game that brought that whole thing into it, right? Where you could get shot, and if you just waited, you know, thirty. What it was in thirty seconds. It was like ten seconds. Your health would regenerate. Like I can't. I honestly can't stand that. I mean, I I would love to go back to the days where you know, if you were dying, you were maneuvering around at like. 2% health and you're praying to stumble upon a, a health pack somewhere, you know, yeah. something, something to up the ante a little bit. Um, like I played, uh, I played Diablo and Diablo two and all yeah. that. And when you play it on, um, well, it used to be hell mode before they have all the different torments now, but it used to be, you played that on a hell mode and you get one shot. You, like the whole game, if you died, you, you were starting over from scratch. Like you had one shot to go all the way through. You know some of the some of the various uh, iterations of WGL and Ace big reels and mods for the Pin Arma series had a lot of. Uh, I think they've probably crossed the line now into overly in depth, like kind of uh, medical regeneration sort of systems, um, where you know depending on on how where you were shot and how bad you know how bad it was essentially uh dictated what you had to do to stay alive 
you know, uh, bandage size and, you know, the timing of like you bleeding out and all that jazz. Uh, and even, even in, uh, I think it was the arm of two iteration where it may have been arm of one, but, uh, you'd even go into this kind of unconscious state and fade in and out of consciousness, uh, until a medic could get you and stabilize, you know, stabilize everything and, and, you know, hit you with the magic, uh, the magic epi and morphine and get you, you know, more or less by back into the fight, which, which is kind of, which is unrealistic on its, on its, on its face, but it's, but it's, it's kind of, it's a mechanic to, uh, you know, a more realistic, uh, version, uh, alternative to like just respawning, right? Where you can be out of the game and require resources to deal with your casualty and you can get back into the game if they do things right. Um, but it's not just okay. Well, I got shot. I'm dead. I'm back in in 30 seconds. Um, there's definitely some pain and misery uh, involved in in the process. That you know you 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 know if you've got a big thing and you've got a squad or two of dudes versus a whole like you know a company or two of Russians, you know uh, <laughs> it didn't take long to to burn down uh, burn down a, a whole uh, platoon full of dudes. Uh, to the point there's no one left. You're just last standing it in some building. Oh, going back to that point about time and like uh, after 45 minutes, the best StarCraft online win I ever did was when my base was destroyed, but I was really rich. But I, so I just sent all my uh, constructors all around the map to build tiny little structures all over the place. And the dude got tired of hunting me down for like an hour. Is that right? You win. <laughs> Best victory ever. <laughs> so this, this does remind good. me. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, going out to our Patreon subscribers, if there's like a video game server or a specific video game you want us to have a server for, let me know. Because I think that would be really fun. That would be, that'd be fun. That would be cool. We already have audio uh, on Discord. Like if we want an Arma three server, just saying. Oh, I don't know. That's that's another point about Arma is I've I've said it before, but I I honestly wouldn't wouldn't uh, I wouldn't unburden anybody with jumping into that uh, into that series. You know, I've been playing it uh, for twelve or thirteen years now, um, and I could not imagine picking that thing up from scratch. The learning curve so. It's not necessarily steep. It's counterintuitive and kind of retarded compared to a lot of games. So, um, you know, just the controls and the way you do things and and all the weird-ass little intricacies of the game. Um, But if we already have the people that are already in the game. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We need need to... Battlefield 4. You know, uh, other things to look at, you know, I own it, but... And I know lots of people have played it, um, but I've been lazy and not played it myself. Is Squad, yeah, uh, which is kind of a derivative off the Project Reality mods for yep. uh, for the Cowboy. Battlefield series. That may be a good fit because I think in terms of modern combat, that 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 kind of falls into that that uh, Red Orchestra Street sweet spot uh, in terms of realistic enough, not the. Not to be, you know, oh my immersions, right? But uh, you know, more accessible than something like uh, like Arma. That's what, uh, I, like I was talking about earlier. 
with the non-regenerating health and all that stuff and, and the good feel of weapons. If you if, if we had a, uh, a Battlefield 4 hardcore server, I, I swear, that's, that is the absolute creme de la yeah. I, I played the shit out of uh, Bad Company 2 on Hard Kid mode. Um, you know, the last the last great Battlefield before the the origin or whatever, before EA lost their mind and yeah, you know, started I, I, being EA. I agree, but I mean, I as far as the multiplayer, like Battlefield 4, Battlefield 3 were fantastic. I yeah, mean, I, I, I played all the way back from, um, you know, 1942. Desert Combat? Desert Combat, absolutely Desert Combat. Yeah. In fact, in fact uh, there wa- there happened to be at the 18 Echo course, uh, you could jump on the computers at the 18 Echo course, and there was a full LAN set up running Battlefield Desert Combat uh, back in like 2006. Um, I, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And what, what's an 18 Echo? Special Forces Communications Art. Yep. Just for, for people that don't know. I uh, used to be in a gaming group where we ran ver- various ser- gaming servers, uh, Desert Combat being one, uh, Battlefield 2, a couple of the, what are they called, uh, Call of Duties. This wouldn't be foreign to me. I think this would this could be really fun. I know there's a tech limit here, and maybe we don't have the gear, but it would be awesome would be in-range versus PNS onward VR. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I got to buy it. How much does a good VR set? Right, speaking of which, $800. You know, a lot of listeners probably don't have VR. I mean, I don't have VR. I only get to borrow it on occasion. So it used to be like $1,000 for a setup, a decent setup. And How much do you have to budget these days? It still kind of is. The I'd rips say 800 are- yeah, because the, I think at this point the vibes, the vibe. If you're gonna go spend the money, the vibes what to spend your money on. The, the risk there, though, the risk there, though, is that I might get video of me shooting Chuck across the map and running around screaming like a maniac. So <laughs> that's worth it. Uh, I, I I think the the tracking solution on the uh, on the Oculus is not as clean and uh, well implemented. It's not. It's not. I, I, yeah. In fact, I was talking in the chat room about this. I need to do. It's not. It's real off topic for for in range, but we're the right. Maybe the right guys. I was thinking about doing a video just talking about the two different units and how they work entirely differently and what's good and bad versus each of them. But I agree entirely. The um the tracking on the Oculus is a little bit wonky. The tracking on the Rift, uh, um, the Vive is excellent. And uh, but the problem, the weird thing is, the Oculus is more comfortable. But the Rift works better, or the Vive works better. So you got this weird problem. I would say, yeah. if you're going to buy one or the other, go with the Vive. And is yeah. there any any upgrade risk at this point in time? Yes, like, oh, absolutely. There's going to be uh, something way better, like come this fall. <laughs> I don't know about way yeah. better. Uh, you know, more comfortable. Um, there's an an improved, I think, an improved tracking solution for the Vive in the pipeline. Uh, now I, as I understand it, there's probably going to be quite a bit of backwards compatibility there on the, in the Vive. Um, you know, um, the problem I think is I, I don't expect a big jump in like screen resolution or anything for VR, uh, immediately. Um, just because I'm not sure the, 
the majority of the hardware people's computer hardware is going to be able to support uh, the doubling of like the headset resolution or something. Um, because most didn't of the time you're pushing Vive, it as it is. Didn't the Vive people just barely say that they're not going to make a new one for a while because or until they can make a significant improvement on one part of the technology and yeah, I, other than just resolution or something yeah, like that? I think, I think uh, some of the, the, tr- the tracking uh, change is actually more towards uh, cost of manufacturer and, you know, the Vive 2 or whatever it may be uh, in terms of specs and actually outright hardware performance uh, may actually end up being pretty closely related. It's just going to be cheaper. Um, and back to the question about the uh, or uh, the tracking wonkiness about the Oculus, is that just because of the single camera um, versus the no, it uses, camera? No, it uses different mechanisms. So the Oculus uses cameras. So what it does, both of them are outside in. So what they do is they track you, and then it determines your movement by looking at what you're doing. So the Oculus literally takes like a wireframe like camera picture of you, sort of, and the, and the Vive has little IR LEDs all over the units, and their cameras sense your, I, your IR LEDs. The so, uh, no, you've you've got it backwards on the Vive. The Vive's actually really slick. The uh, so you've got the you've got the lighthouses, right? Yeah. Uh, and what they're doing is there's basically two main functions of the lighthouse. First, it's got it blasts it blasts the room with this um, a broad IR light, um, and that's to sync the two things and tell. Uh, Basically, what you've got on the on your hardware are little just plain old run of the mill uh, photo uh, photodiode or uh, yeah photodiodes receptors uh, photodiode receptor yeah whatever yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> light, light, light the voltage right uh, the little photovoltaic cells um, so it blasts everything with a, a synchronization the synchronizing signal. Uh, with just the LEDs, and then it's got a pair of uh, of s- spinning uh, reflectors that uh, split an IR laser beams into a wide, uh, like knife blade sort of thing, and it does a vertical scan and then a horizontal scan, and each one of those does that. And what and what the the heart what your hardware is doing, your controllers and your headset. Uh, is it's taking that information from those photo detectors and going, okay, here's the sync signal. Now it's been this long. I've got the horizontal sweep and I've got, okay, now I've got the vertical sweep. So now I know, uh, rel- I, I've got a distance, uh, between that point and the lighthouse. And then when you get the constellation and stuff there where you've got the, you know, the three or six or, you know, eight or 12 different things going all that. Now they can actually do actual track triangulation and figure out where that shit, where you are in the room. Now I now see why you said I had it backwards, but it's yeah. the, I was saying the right things. These are yeah. the little, yeah. these are the little dimples on the helmet. Yeah, Those are the, the sensors, not the emitters. Yeah. Right, that that was my mistake. The emitters yeah. are the are the lighthouses. But regardless, yeah. you have two of those. I have them mounted on my ceiling, for example, and then these sense that. The yeah. Oculus is the opposite. The cameras sense you and then make a wireframe of it. The the nice thing about the the way of, uh, uh, Valve has done it on the Vive is it's a very uh, um, it's a very cheap solution in terms of processing power. Um, they can track the shit out of things, and it doesn't cost them a lot of CPU well, cycles. You know what? I, I keep bringing up Onward, but Onward is the game that proves this to me. So in Onward, when I bring up my stupid PVC pipe with the Vive, 
um, I'll bring it up, and the gun acts normally. The sights line up. They don't waver or move. When I do it with the rift, I bring it up, and the gun wobbles and has movement that I'm not making well, because and, it can't track as accurately. Yeah, and, and, and additionally, uh, you know, I I am not sure how much dead reckoning um, the Oculus stuff is doing, um, but the Vive stuff's actually... Uh, it's doing a lot of dead reckoning through accelerometers and and um, and uh, angular rate sensors and shit. Um, and then it's just using so it's doing that like you know like a thousand hertz or whatever uh, in terms of uh, the the accelerometer and rate of change um, uh, sensors. And then it's just up the with the lighthouses and stuff like at a hundred hertz or whatever, um, and what they're basically doing is uh, they're dead reckoning it just through inertia, and then using the lighthouses and that whole that sensor subsystem to error correct like a hundred times a second, um, and that's and that's why it's as accurate it is. Um, I forget, I I forget if I remember right. I I listened to to one of the develop with the hardware guys talk about it. Um, the tracking resolution um, on the Vive is something like a half millimeter at 15 meters uh, in terms of what they can accurately track, which is obscenely accurate. That's like uh, that's something like a tenth of an MOA um, in gun terms, um, and they're doing and they're doing that for each each point, um, you know, a hundred times a second. Um, and when you know, when you say you just prove when you say each point, go ahead, go I ahead. I just said ahead. he just proved my point that we live in a cyberpunk future. Think of that that's the technology that as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You have for 800 bucks in your room. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, so when you said every point, are you talking about every point? Yeah. yeah. So every one of these is being self-corrected every 100, or what would you say? What was the... I think it's a hundred hertz is the 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 cycle time on the the sync and laser scan. Um, that's why you don't see any. Fl- you can you know you can see when the uh, the LED the the big bright the LEDs are on, and that's why you don't see any flickering there, right? Because it's it's like a hundred hertz. It's like a hundred hertz. Um, 
you know the uh, um, yeah, it's like that's obscene the uh, the level of accuracy on it. And actually, they they, they went as far as say they're um, they're a little fuzzy on the details uh, uh, how that actually works. Um, they're like, you know, there was when we came up with this idea, we weren't sure. Like we did the math. And our physics and mathematics background told us we don't know if this is going to work or not um, because of the 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 amount of like the the speed and and um, and distance involved. They weren't sure they were going to get enough flash due to like you know relativistic bullshit um, coming off of that stuff. Um, but it worked. And they're like, all right, well, this works. It's a way cheap way, not only hardware, but actual CPU cycles, cheaper way of doing it. And it was like their second or third uh, good idea of how to, how to accomplish the tracking solution. Yeah, and apparently good tracking is really important for uh, not getting motion sickness, right? Oh, it's, it's critically important. Yeah, you can, you can tell the, the – if uh, – you, you can tell like the second there's any loss or or error in the in the tracking uh shit it it, it comes at you you immediately your brain tells you this isn't something's gone wrong here well it's also important because it makes when uh when i'm trying to play onward with the oculus i land up throwing my controllers across the room in disgust when i miss <laughs> that too cool walt brought up so a really you, good you topic Oh no, John! Speak. I was just gonna, I was gonna say really quick, like uh, so you keep talking about how the Vive uh, or its lighthouses are doing more of the work. No, they're not doing right. anything. They're stupid. They're stupid. No, no, I mean, like you said, you said something along the lines of that. Like I didn't understand. Like it was like you're saying that it, it, it's 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 less for your CPU to handle, or it's something. Yeah, yeah. The the math on that? figuring out um, the positioning is a lot easier the way. Um, um, oh, okay. The, way, uh, vibe, the vibe's doing it um, because it's just—it's all they've got a custom IC made for it, and they're doing—they're doing a lot of the math at a very low level of of stuff. There's like a lot of that positional uh, calculation math is actually done on the controllers themselves um, before that's actually sent to the PC. Uh, where you know gotcha. doing doing the multi the multi point like the Oculus is working the same way as this track just track IR just in a, a in a more robust system. I've got it's got a little IR camera up here and it's tracking these three points instead of like the twenty point constellation you see with the uh, with the riff. Uh, and so they're having to do all sorts of like reverse kinematics and stuff on that shit to figure out the the positioning um, where a lot of that's uh, handled a lot at a much more basic level uh, on the Vive. Now, Walt brought up a potential topic that would affect all of us at some point that I, I appreciate. And I know Carl has a really, really good video explaining it to people that don't already know net neutrality. Well, it's an important topic to gaming because it's an important topic to anything that goes over the internet. Um, the, uh, I don't know what everyone thinks about this on the panel. It'll be interesting to talk about it. And I know that it's always a controversial topic because it always turns into this um, knee-jerk reaction between no regulation or regulatory type groups. But the video that I put out, I was calling for, and I think some people misinterpret it, I was calling for something more along the lines of bigger in scope than that, which would be a digital bill of rights. Um, it boils down to, so, you know, it's like I got into this debate with a friend of mine and that, so for in that, 
this, the Second Amendment has been infringed upon. I think we can all agree with that. However, without the Second Amendment, we'd be in a much worse place. And for some reason or another, the world receives or perceives the Internet as something divested from reality. But the reality is the Internet and our real world are so mixed together and combined now that we can't exist without it. Um, there was one of the transhumanist guys was talking about this, Kurzweil. And he said, when are we going to, they asked him the question, when are we going to get Androids? And, um, and he, he pulled out a, an iPhone out of his pocket and he goes, we're already there. And the Internet's that same way with reality, because if the Internet were to go, the world that we, the world and the way it works and the way we perceive it would be irreparably changed, if not catastrophically destroyed. And so protecting the Internet as an essential element of what our what our current existence is, existence is and the future of it, to me, is paramount. And so I think that we need to perceive it as part of the real world and a digital bill of rights that protects the existence of the Internet in the way we've always had it since its inception is paramount. I think you're I, I was gonna say exactly that almost verbatim. Just thought I'd say that. Just kidding. <laughs> but I agree. Yeah. I uh you know, I've kind of wrestled that with myself, right? The whole the whole kind of free market libertarian idea of this leaving it alone and and the 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 reality of that maybe it's not working. Um and you know and the importance of of the idea of stuff like net neutrality. Um, I don't think the inter- the internet just does not, you know, if you know if the net neutrality like apocalypse sort of scenario would ever to play out would be would be the next day, you know, there'd be you know the internet too would actually you know start popping up, right? To some to some regard, you know, yeah, unseating all that shit and figuring out a way to do it. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But you know, the day the day they you know flip the switch on something like that is the day the internet dies. Basically, what I'm getting at. Here's uh, the thing: I think I think I, I learned this from my net neutrality video, and you guys tell me where I'm wrong on this, and I'm totally accepting to listen to it. But the reality of what I from when I saw the comments, and I and I'm, it's going to maybe anger some people, and I don't mean to. This isn't my goal at all. But let me just give you some background. I worked I worked in infosec for 20 years. I worked at two tier one backbone providers. I mean, I literally accidentally shot off a country once at a peering router um that's just an interesting story i could tell another day but so i've seen i've seen i've seen the sausage factory and the, the reality is the technology while it is built for highly being highly resilient and redundant is controlled by a small number of corporate factions and so if they were to want to even if your local ISP, of which there's one or two, therefore there's not a free market because your options as you as a vet consumer are quite limited. Even if they were to be net neutrality friendly, the reality is the minute you had a peering point with a backbone that was not, you're fucked. And the reality is there's no way to prevent that or fix that because the infrastructure is designed for the reasons that it wasn't designed to where it became and what it has become is now in the hands of a small number. And if they decide to do or manipulate the packets in the interest of what I tend to call the old media, you're going to be right back to the days of cable packages and pay more to watch the NFL and divergent and small voices on the internet will get squelched and you're going to be paying so you can play your game better. And you're going to be losing what the internet provides you now, which is treating all data as equal and fair. Yeah. I think you, you, you got on the point where, where some of this, uh, come out of um um 
the tech the in the early days the internet did not prepare the infrastructure and technology for the current internet right um because there's no you know the whole idea of of the internet was to have some sort of like fucking you know inner like redundant net you know this this kind of almost self-healing network um that could you know route around you know major communication centers been nuked by the russians um and and it's almost like the power grid now yeah you take off yeah yeah you kick off a, a big you know tier one place or a co-location somewhere and the whole fucking internet breaks down for for uh you know or more more you know, applicable, you know, you, you knock a DNS server off somewhere and half the internet goes out for, for, you know, the entire East coast or something. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same idea as the, the whole power grid too, where, where they've kind of, the capacity has been pushed to the point where they've, you've lost a lot of your, uh, your redundancy and, and error correction there. Um, and it's, it allowed, you know, uh, the, you know, I guess your big internet there to, the, consolidate so much that power uh, well it's, not, not, it's it, i agree entirely on that but the, the thing is it's like so your power that you consider a utility now when you turn on the switch you expect your lights to turn on yeah could you imagine if could you imagine if your local power grid decided you know what you're not using those good led bulbs so you're going to only get these many kilowatt hours to your house on a given day and so you turn on your light and it's this dim flickering thing because they're playing with it unless you want to pay for the high speed power and then you can use any light bulbs you want it's not that different. That's not that different. And, yeah, and, and I, go ahead. I like the idea. I, I I think thinking of internet bits and bytes as as you know you know the same as uh, public utility of like power you know kilowatt hours or gallons of water is is not a bad way of thinking about it, right? Uh, it may I don't not be a bad way to think about it, but I'd I don't know if that's the best way of thinking about it. Well, but this, is, this is why the FCC regulatory thing is only a stopgap, and we need to do something bigger and better than that to consider a digital bill of rights in terms of treating it fairly and equally as all data being equal on the net and all people having not paid for, I'm not saying free, but having equal access if they pay for it in that regard. So it shouldn't be some kind of weird divergent system. And one of the things I see that's constantly recurring is that people think regulation versus bill of rights. I'd rather see the bill of rights thing. But for example, and I was talking to one of my buddies about this and he's like, well, the FCC shouldn't have any regulatory control over anything. And I'm like, well, let me pose this question to you. One, have you ever been a pro- on a private phone call? And has the FCC ever interrupted the private phone call to tell you you're not allowed to say what you're going to say? That's never happened to me. However, it could, I guess, but it hasn't. And two, he actually argued that he didn't think they should have regulatory control over frequencies, radio frequencies. Can you imagine the world functioning if we didn't put people and channelize radio frequencies? Well, to- it, it wouldn't, and, you know. And and well, you, you you do, you know. There is some, I guess, extra governmental uh, regulations for a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, um, would it be like, say, if the FCC didn't have the power to control that? It would still absolutely be controlled. It just wouldn't necessarily be the FCC or the US. Yeah, it'd government. be controlled by some radio warlord that owned a yeah, pirate because it, had a bunch it, of money. Yeah, it, because it simply something like the the RF band would not work without some sort of of respected you know structure there in terms of of you know what you know what goes where and how this is going to work, right? Um, because everyone just end up stepping on each other, and it would just 
nothing would work. And there, you know, sure, there might be some some sort of self organizing, um, you know, understanding of how to how to handle things like that. Um, but you know, you look at stuff like uh, like the influence of and and various like standards organizations around uh, around the world. You know, like ISO and ANSI and IEEE and stuff. Uh, and you know, they aren't necessarily government. You know, they're you know a consortium of of people in those industries and companies and involved parties and stuff that you know have recognized that hey, this shit doesn't work unless we all decide to make it work together. You know. Um, People's well, I mean, fucking people, Wi-Fi is that way. The free market would work if there was one. So if you could actually go and pick from 50 different ISPs that for some reason had a shared circuit that you could pick ISP versus one versus two versus three versus four, you'd have some form of capitalist power yeah. as a consumer to control and dictate what they do. Well, that's what I was getting at. But let me earlier, finish this thought. Yeah. So right now, if I, I don't watch TV. I, ha- I haven't had cable TV for 15 years because I don't care about it because the old media can go to hell and die as far as I'm concerned. But... The reality is if you want cable TV right now, you've got one, two, or three providers. And guess what? Their packages are all the same piece of shit. You're going to get – you have to pay for these things, and you're going to get the same package because they've colluded with one another to make sure you're going to eat that same piece of dog food whether you want it or not. Like ESPN. The the, – but that's what I was getting at is, is, you know, it was – the the pre World Wide Web days uh, is I think where where a lot of this um, shook or where the, a lot of the foundations for the issues we're having to deal with today uh, were laid. Um, you know, just on you know, that cusp before everyone and their brother started using the internet. Because um, yeah, I I think I think they just missed the mark on it. Right. And this may sound horrible, and I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a hell of a lot of faith in the consumer either, and let me tell you why. Let me give you one real simple example, real-world one for InRange. When we started InRange, we didn't even want to deal with YouTube. You know what? We started right off the bat with, screw that old stuff. We're going to use this other content distribution network, which was full 30 and has some technical glitches and issues and all that. I got it. And, and by the way, thank God for Patreon and for Patreon supporters, because that's the reality of the world I live in, and that's what... That's being a direct-to-consumer situation, which is why we demonetize InRange. But initially, for the first year, we were proprietary to the content distribution network of Full30. And Ian would occasionally put out feelers and go, hey, guys, check out the content over here. We put up ads saying, go watch this on Full30. The amount of vitriol from people just to click a link to go to a different place than YouTube was immense. So you're telling me that the average consumer, not the guys that are maybe watching this, you guys aren't the average consumer, but the average consumer that's aggregated and has all their eyeballs on one thing, which is YouTube, they won't be willing to click to go to a different place to get a video. They're going to switch ISPs. You got to be kidding me. It ain't going to happen. You know, I'm already that with my cable company. It's like, you know, for internet, it's either them or it's some AT&T DSL line or whatever. And, you know, I'm kind of over the coals a little bit and I can bullshit them. Like, that's like the cable company. Yeah, I can bullshit them a little bit and tell them, you know, I want to go somewhere else or something. The fact of the matter is I don't. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I just want to pay less for it. Um, and, you know, just telling somebody on the phone that, hey, you know, bullshitting them into giving me a discount about all the power I can wield over that whole situation. Uh, you know, I guess short of going just to my uh, my phone, right? Um, which, you know, some of that, you know, there there are, you know, there's some alternatives coming down the pipe. You know, uh, you know your fourth gen LTE or whatever, uh, even though that's a lot of dependent on the same uh, higher level infrastructure as the rest of the internet. Uh, but you know, you've got, you know, like three or four different big companies working on, you know, uh, low earth orbit, uh, communication satellite constellations where something like that, you could, you know, you're, you're kind of building a big mesh network there that could maybe if you've got the bandwidth there work independently of the, uh, of the big, uh, you know, higher level fat pipes of the internet. I don't know. It's, but I absolutely agree. I think I think uh, some sort of, you know, that digital bill of rights that basically said, uh, you know, a bite's a bite when it comes to the internet. Uh, I, I think that's that's a really good idea. You know, and, and and I think the reason we see this counter argument is I understand the knee jerk reaction against regulation, but that's honestly not what I'm calling for. I'm calling for the equal treatment of all data on the internet, which is not necessarily regulatory. These are different things, but um, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding for a lot of folks about how things work. So I've also worked on corporate networks and I've applied what net neutrality would be on a corporate network. So for example, um, there are layer seven firewalls that do everything at the application layer. It's not transport layer controls, which is port, TCP address, source desk, and port. That's the old days. It's now application layer. So what it does is the packet goes through, packet gets dissected, a heuristic of the packet is derived, and it says, okay, this is a Netflix packet. This is a YouTube packet. This is a FTP packet. This is an SMTP packet. And then you take the firewall and you go at the application layer, you say, this much bandwidth for FTP, this much bandwidth for Netflix, this much bandwidth for this. And so when people say things like, I'll use VPN or Tor, to avoid that kind of problem. Right now that might work because people like Verizon aren't necessarily throttling VPN yet for corporate reasons. But when they get their full game, believe me, they will. You're going to need a corporate contract to use VPN on your Verizon uh, uh, contract. And if you don't have the corporate contract, they're going to throttle your VPN too. And these workarounds at the application layer won't work. What they'll do is they'll see Tor. And you know what they're going to give you for bandwidth on Tor? 
zero kilobits. Bye-bye, Tor. And that's why this doesn't work. Yeah, you'll have to end up doing shit like getting up your own your old dial-up modem and and you know throwing data over the you know disguise wrapping it up as voice, even though nothing even uses voice anymore. I it's thought all about IP. That. I thought about that, so I thought you know what, maybe the workaround for this problem, if there was such a thing, was not enveloping it in some sort of encryption wrapper, but actually masquerading a packet to make it look like an application. It isn't. So, for example, if they're throttling Netflix but not throttling YouTube because of some Google agreement or something, I don't know. So you make your you your your Netflix packet look like a YouTube packet. Yeah. The problem is then they'll start doing CIDR lookups and they'll be like, that's not the IP address zone for yeah. anything that's the content delivery network for YouTube. They're going to know you're playing shenanigans and then you're going to get a letter from the wonderful RIAA telling you that you're going to get sued. You send stuff out that way, though. I don't think that'd be a problem. Sorry, guys. Maybe you didn't want to ramp, but you kind of got me up on it. So. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm listening with all ears because yeah, that's great. it's really nice to hear someone who who is so plugged in and has such a good understanding of this. Um, I, I look at it from, from the standpoint of, you know, I, I, I'm in total agreement with you with Bill of Rights thing. I'm in total agreement that for me, I literally only have one option for internet, unless I want to go like the, uh, the satellite route or, or, um, you know, or get a, a, a Wi-Fi puck for my, Internet or for my cell phone provider or something like that. But as far as broadband internet, I literally have one option. So to think that you know that company is gonna is gonna have a say over what I view, um, and, and then you look at the second and third order effects of that, you know. And I and I and I wrote this on my Facebook. And I wrote it on someone else's Facebook too because uh, someone posted something that kind of stirred me up on it. Because I've been following net, tr- net neutrality uh, since, like, I don't know, 2009 or 10 is when I first kind of saw it. And, uh, and just to think that a company that is monetarily supporting a Democrat or Republican or whatever – could then route my traffic away from news sites or from information that did not fit where their political agenda lies is a scary, scary, scary thing. Because now we're not just talking about, you know, that current election. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, my, my ability to see, you know, to, to, to buy things where I want to buy things. Okay, we're we're actually starting to look at if if a company or a set you know bunch of companies and there's not that many honestly that have the ability to uh, decide what traffic gets viewed here in the United States and we start looking at you know what history actually gets recorded and we start looking at you know information campaigns here in the United States getting you know going to whatever entity is controlling whatever ISP that you have. So when I think about, uh, you know, social movement theory and how that's taken effects all over the world in, uh, in, um, I don't want to get too into the weeds here in 
motivating people for a cause. And I think about how that could, what, what that would look like if all of a sudden a select few companies then had control of the information. Well, you know, social movement theory would say that, you know, whatever leaning they want is information that people would get and therefore people would be motivated in that direction. And that could lead us down a, you know, path that is just, you know, completely against everything this country stands for from the standpoint of the current Bill of Rights that we have, you know, of our Constitution, of, you know, freedom of speech, of, you know, Second Amendment, like all of that, when it comes to how integral the Internet is at this point for all of our lives and to have entities controlling the information, and and I'm not putting my tinfoil hat on here and thinking, you know, it's the end of the world or anything like that, but, you know, those are companies that want to make a buck. And those are companies that have idealists working at them. And those are companies that, you know, are motivated by, you know, money, by power, by, you know, just like any one of us is. If I mean, if you pay me money to do something, as long as it doesn't go against my morality and my, and my drive, then you're paying me money for a service. Well, okay, I'm going to give you that service. So that's there in the same way. Social right. engineering. Yeah, that's, that's no, I totally believe that's my, I, I, 100% agree with that. The, 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 the thing is, and I think you touched on this a little bit, I wouldn't say that most companies are not immoral, they're amoral. They're, they're a wolf in your room. Oh, totally. If, totally. Oh. totally, right? So, I mean, if you're giving the wolf meat every day and he likes you, you're pretty cool. You don't give the meat wolf one day, he chews, takes your throat out and eats you in your sleep. They're, they, but that's because that's what wolves do, not because it's evil. It's just what a wolf is. And so that's what companies are. So it's in our interest to pit the government against the corporation, the corporation against the government, let them quagmire each other and protect the internet. Because if we don't, the reality is that the people that control the flow of data will control the conversation. And if you've ever talked to someone who's a drone of the old mass media and sits and watches 18 hours of TV every day, they're a mindless human being that's been told what to think. And the internet has broken that mold and allowed the individual to have the true free speech that we sh- that the supposedly the First Amendment guarantees. And if we don't control the internet, the internet will control us. It's as simple as that. Oh, great! Now John's putting on a tinfoil hat. So I'm not the video game. I totally, totally agree. Absolutely. Well said. What are video game stuff? Let's see. And so, Carl, I have a quick question for you. Isn't there like a a YouTube channel that covered this sort of and has a video discussing this and has some really good examples? Well, there's a number of them. I'm assuming you're referring to the one that I have a personal interest in, which is InRange TV. Oh, and I just Um, posted that to our YouTube chat. Thank thank you very much. Yeah, I did a little video about net neutrality about a week ago. Uh, The comments were disturbing. And what it did is it let me, it kind of opened my eyes to what we're dealing with here in that this it's, it's becoming a partisan issue and a partisan issue poisons the conversation. This is beyond partisanship. People on every side of every political aisle should want to maintain their ability to control the flow of data to their eyeballs or their ability to speak. So this, this is well beyond partisanship, but yeah, I have a video about net neutrality up. I actually bought a whiteboard (laughs) and I'm going to do another video while it's not exactly in range topic. It's going to be, I'm going to do essentially this discussion with a whiteboard explaining at a low level, how the internet work works, how these networks work, what peering points are, what backbones are and why this idea 
that free market doesn't exist. But yes, in-range TV, and we do touch on digital rights quite a bit. As much as gun rights are important, I strongly believe digital rights are at this moment, maybe even more important, quite honestly. And with this new video you said uh, with a whiteboard, I'm going to I'm going to put forth efforts to make that the new meme to replace Charlie from Always Sunny. <laughs> the, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, intersection and that's almost the same thing. But I guess that's it. OK, I don't know. Anyways, is that what you wanted, Matt? I mean, yeah, so exactly. in TV, we, we, we do gun stuff too, but the digital right parts is something we bring in there. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I've been doing that is um, is that while we are a gun channel and gun-related, we're more of a gun culture channel because we deal with food and history and guns. But um, I think that, unfortunately, all of us, myself included, this is a human trait, we tend to lock ourselves into our own star chambers. We're like, okay, this is the topic I like. And I watch my 18 gun channels and I'm at, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. But what, what I have a chance or what we hopefully have a chance with some of our channels, PNS and in range is to bring an audience that doesn't normally think about that topic and maybe just bring it at least to their forefront for a brief moment in time, because it's important to everybody. Amen. And it's interesting not to bring us back to a primary and secondary topic, but what you were talking about, people sticking with their favorite channels, it reminds me of people training. They only train the stuff they're good at. They're only training with the stuff they enjoy. They're not training the malfunction drills. They're not training the stuff that's that's much more difficult. So leave your leave your comfort zone. And it looks like Walt needs to take off shortly. Do you want to do a quick uh, buy just in case, Walt? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, this this is a good this was a good little. Uh, conversation here i really like the net neutrality stuff and uh yeah gaming always good yeah um again uh my company operational detachment source you can find us at opdsource.com uh been a part of primary and secondary for a while now also um i contribute a little bit here and there for that one of those moderators uh, not being a dick yeah not being a dick just trying to Make shit happen. Anyway, um, you I also actually have training on the side too. Uh, a little bit here and there. If you are in, if you're on primary and secondary on Facebook, and you are on the North Carolina training group, we're going to have a range day on the 18th of next month. Uh, just to kind of an open range day, go out, shoot some drills, meet people, that kind of thing. So it'll be good times. We'll be posting up more information on that uh, soon. But yeah, just uh, that. And uh, I actually had not, uh, maybe just because I don't do a lot of uh, mod or not modcast, but um, podcast kind of thing. I, I had not checked out in range TV uh, until Matt sent me a link last week to your net neutrality video. And I got to say, I, I, I liked it a lot. And uh, I liked what you said here today. So I know you, you got yourself another subscriber from me today. So, hey, thanks. That's awesome to hear. Absolutely, man. Yep. Good stuff. And so with that, Walt, thanks for joining us. Unfortunately, our hand model for some game designers has to leave. Hand models are a big deal, man. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Video gaming. Now that he's leaving, we can talk about more subjects he likes a lot. I, uh, well, talking about the development side of video games. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
I've done a little bit of that in terms of uh, asset creation and and direction there. Uh, I may have mentioned it earlier that, that uh, uh, I at least the ref the digital references for uh, uh, for like the M4s and DayZ. Um, I did those. Uh, uh, some of the future guns in Arma Three um, were half my idea. <laughs> Uh, at least, like the if you're familiar with the game, the uh, the uh, the MX rifles um, and the light machine gun, I, I had some hand in. Um, I, I wouldn't I I wouldn't completely sit, sign off on put my name on them, but but uh, they were I helped uh, definitely steered it the best I could. There was um, an interesting thing you said also in a previous modcast about the light machine gun and a similarity with something that actually came true. The three thirty eight normal. Oh yeah, you know that that didn't. Yeah, that. Oh, somehow you're muted. You just muted yourself. You were so excited. No, uh, you know the not so much light machine gun. Look at kind of that. Uh, yeah, that that the magnum medium machine guess, gun. Yeah, or whatever. I guess that's not light, is it? Um, yeah, I I. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Didn't have a hand in that particular maybe creation of that other than, you know, talking about like uh, early on in the process, some of the future future guns and, and ideas that uh, the, the army and the, you know, the, the greater idea of the defense world was heading towards in terms of some of that small arm stuff. And that and one of those was the, the Magnum machine gun. Uh, and when they actually started, when we actually started using those to shoot at each other uh, in game, uh, we absolutely saw um, the intended of real world effect of them, uh, where we were we were putting like in, in now in an armor three there uh, a three thirty eight Lupua mag, uh, not a Norma mag, but whatever, uh, putting those up against uh, uh, against. You know, other infantry. You know, peer peer infantry, but guys with like two forties and PKs. Uh, and it absolutely there was a very real and immediate difference 
and the way those fought, fights shook out uh, when you stacked uh, one of those Magnum uh, machine guns up against like a PKM or something, uh, where they were essentially the the attack, the force going up against uh, those longer range machine guns weren't were you know uh, figuratively not getting off the beach. Um, where they were, they were getting shot at and taking lethal hits, you know, at, at 12, 1500 meters, uh, in, in game. Uh, and they would just, they couldn't even get close to, enough to, to, to take any action against that, you know, short of like pop and smoke and running for it. Uh, that's about, that was their options in terms of advancing against some of those, some of those guns, um. Because they couldn't, there there was that range discrepancy where they couldn't get their little bubbles of, they couldn't touch those guys without, you know, being touched first. Uh, there was no that none of that equal meeting engagement going on. Um, well, that's why it's such so cool as a simulation. Well, I, you know, it's a, enough of a simulation that's that you know real world ideas tend to maybe play out every once in a while, right? Um, there's there's some there's some undeniable crossover there um you know is it being in combat and everything real world can be gleaned from that no but you know can some of the shit on paper be kind of uh given a little bit of a dry run um see if there's if there's there's something there right yeah maybe there's a room room for that so the whole we're throwing shit you know shit on the wall and seeing what sticks you know, maybe maybe that's something. You know, uh, that's a possibility, right? Um, speaking of that, and I, I wish Walt was here, but uh, uh, I forgot about this earlier. But you know, one of the things I I have seen, I know they're using VBS, uh, the VBS series, as a uh, as a battlefield recreation uh, after action uh, tool, uh, where they'll actually take a, a real battle. And recreate it um, in 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 VBS uh, using all the notes and known intelligence and 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 mission you know debriefs and all that shit um, and and kind of dial it you know dial, do what they need to do to kind of to get it to play out the same way it did in real life and then you know either use that as you know okay well here's like your, your, your drone video of this that we never, never got drone video of. Right. Um, we've just recreated this whole thing virtually, um, or been able to, you know, manipulate that and maybe get an idea of what may have happened or what could, you know, if we did this, what, what could, could have this worked out better? Uh, not to say that's foolproof, but you know, if you can, if you can set the conditions up in one way and you have it turn out like it did in reality, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of uh, interpolation uh, there. You can, you can guess if you tweak it here a little bit, that it's not going to be completely off the rails in terms of the outcome. Um, You know, just on, on the note of putting video games to work, I guess is, is kind of follow that one in. Um, you know, and on that on that on that subject, some of the the work I've uh, not really done, but I've I've participated in 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 the in in some of the VBS stuff, where uh, you know uh, showing that off for uh, you know combat control, you know air you know the air traffic combat controllers and forward observers and stuff. I mean, like, listen, we can stick stick you on this virtual ground and have actual pilots on the other side of the radios flying. You know, flying the helicopters you're seeing in game and stuff. 
um, and dropping bombs on targets you're seeing and calling and talking to them about, um, and, uh, you know, various and collaborative, uh, like multiplayer gaming in, in, uh, uh, in, in a real world kind of trading environment. That's something we, we, uh, you know, I was getting up at like three in the morning to go play video games on my computer for, uh, uh, is the, whatever training and simulation trade show there is. I forget the the thing is of it. And we do, we, we do live demos from, you know, it's about 40 of us all around the world. Uh, we'd jump in and go do it for a live demo, uh, in a trade show booth. Um, with, you know, generals and shit and be like, Hey, listen, look, these are real guys and they're all over the world doing this together. Um, the practicality of that, I don't know, but it was cool. Well, to just you jump know, on a fallout of- three or not Fallout, I'm reading the chat, uh, jump on an arm of three server server and actually see people working together is awesome. Calling in air support. Love it. I keep bringing up Onward, but it's 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 really that impressive to me. So this happened last night. I was playing Onward last night, and it was a five on five server. And I get a, I come around a corner, and I was using the PKM, which is one of my favorite guns in real life and in the game. And uh, come around the corner, and I saw movement, and I saw two of the guys from the opposite squad moving because I saw them move through slats of um, wood, and there's some broken up concrete. And I just opened up with this bell fed, and I'm just like go 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 go, and I over my calm, I go. They're right there. F them in particular. And I just continued to lay, lay the belt on them. And I watched my two other guys flank left and right, pin them and killed them both. And I'm like, that was textbook. And that's the kind of stuff that can happen if you apply these kind of games right. Yeah, I mean, I do it every week. Um, Nerd. <laughs> uh, it's... It's just a VR game, but you know what? Even in VR, the opposite squad did not want to lift their heads when a PKM belt fed was not stopping on their well, position. And, and you know that that goes back to what I was talking about in terms of like uh, uh, the audio design and whatnot, right? Because you know you ain't seeing those bullets, but you sure as hell h- hearing them. And you know, and if a, you know a lot of like you know Arma and even Battlefield started incorporate stuff like uh, your you know pops and snaps and whizzes. Uh, you know, your, your supersonic cracks and shit, um, to really, uh, drive home, um, that suppressive fire effects, right? You know, there's no, some like magic shock wave or, or seeing the bullets or tracers may have some effect, but most of that's all audio cues, you know, uh, the bullets smack his shit in front of you and behind you. And, and, you know, you hear in the cracks, you know, the cracks of the bullets as they come by and stuff, um, you know, uh, and Arma, you know, Arma was quick that was real early on on that, that, uh, and that made a big difference. Now, on that note of, uh, you know, the audio soundscape of all that shit, uh, I watched IMAX, or I watched Dunkirk the other day in, in the IMAX theater, and, uh, and more so than any other movie I think ever made, um, have they got that audio dialed in. Um, oh, no, they don't. The first gunfire. I had to stop and p- assess the theater and figure out, okay, did oh, that yeah. just happen in here? Yeah. Or yeah, I was, I was the exact same shit. It was like, oh shit, these guys mean business, and it was like, okay, I this is this is different than anything I've seen before. Uh, I've been around in terms of, um, in terms of the visceralness of it, um, and you know, this kind of 
video games and this is not you know this goes into a farther topic but uh you know video games and and movies are almost uh are almost converging on each other a little bit um at least in the main and at least in the mainstream but uh uh more gushing on on dunkirk that was uh if nothing else about that movie was yeah it was we're we're in the business now, and I think I posted it somewhere that you know had Christopher Nolan uh, done the Omaha Beach scene in Saving Private Ryan, there would have been people who died in that theater, and there would very very there'd be legitimate like PTSD cases coming from people watching that movie, and but- and at the very least, you know, people would have had everyone who who may have watched that scene would have had. Uh, ringing ears and needed a minute to get back into things because I know uh, just watching like Dunkirk that there's a few there's a few spots there I I got my ears got ringing and it was like oh man you guys are going after it and uh, and you know in, in terms of action and, and pace and stuff uh, Dunkirk was really minimal uh, in terms of like you know uh, good old war action right so uh I was trying pretty, to think when you mentioned that, I was thinking, what, what other movies kind of maybe not as well? I haven't seen Dunkirk yet, but I was thinking what movies had that level of auditory inclusion? And I was thinking, you actually mentioned it wasn't as good as, but I thought Private Ryan wasn't terrible. Black Hawk Down was good. And then one sci-fi movie, which is one of my favorites of all time, where the audio was such an important part of the combat, was actually Aliens Yeah, in the colony. The audio in that, when they start letting loose with the pulse rifles and stuff, it's intense. Yeah, and that's and that and like Dunkirk was like the closest thing to like the you know sort of like uh, what you can maybe sometimes get in, on in in video games and and you know uh, to their credit the Battlefield series is is definitely I think the kings of the uh, of the uh, audio world in in video games. Um, you turn on that War Tapes uh, audio track instead of just the normal stuff, and uh, and go to town and. Uh, that was one of my favorite things playing Bad Company too. Is, is the war tapes and just this listen to shit blow up and bullets get shot and 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 the whole the whole level just turn into a moonscape over the over the fight. You know, it was another good movie. Another good movie with really great um, gunfire audio was Way of the Gun. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you have to be obliged to say Heat, but you know, honestly, compared to Dunkirk, it doesn't. No, doesn't even come close. Uh, uh, oh man, I'm just imagining it in my head. You know that Dun, you know the audio work they did in Dunkirk on the fucking the bank scene and Heat would have been insane. Uh, oh, <laughs> just it blew me away. And uh, you know, and that's okay. So tying this back in the video games and movies, that's I hate that. I've almost entirely stopped playing single player games because of that, because of the whole uh, Call of Duty and Battlefield. The single player in Battlefield is just as guilty as this. It's just making a fucking movie and making you do shit to keep the movie going. And I hate it. I would rather like if I like if they had something compelling on it. It was it almost be the thing where I would pay somebody to play the game for me and me just sit back and watch because I don't want to be I don't want to have to deal with shooting people or bullshit quick time or even putting the time in to go through this 
the to do the work just to watch a four or five hour movie that well, they that's called isn't that where the water, push isn't, buttons to. Isn't that isn't that part of the watering down we talked about earlier? For example, things like System Shock One and oh, Two. Oh no, it's absolutely it's absolutely yeah. You don't even were, know what you're supposed to do. You walk around in a dungeon. You're like, what do you do? I don't yeah. know. I've just done this three times for four hours. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing next. You know, at least at least Valve and the Half Life series is crafty about it, right? They at least make you feel smart when you figure stuff out. Um, even though it's like you're pretty much that's your there's no other way like right the cake there's, is a lie yeah um, <laughs> but you know I remember playing like modern warfare or something they're trying to play modern warfare and it's just like after about forty five minutes we're like no this is too much even on easy like easy mode just walk around and shoot people it's like no this is too much work for this like you know play by numbers you know, on rails video, you know, I'm watching a movie thing just is like, I would buy games like modern warfare. If they just had like a demo real mode, that's just like, just go play this game the way you intended it to be played. Right. And I'll just sit back and watch the, your AI run through it. Let me go back to system shock two. Again, you could play that game three different ways. You could be a combat, a hacker or stealth or all three combined. So like, say there's a turret that's in this tunnel, this one hallway that would kill you. You could find a way to sneak through the air ducts, drop behind it, hack it, and land it using it against your enemies. Or you could go get the grenade launcher, come around the corner, and blow it up. There was like 15 different ways to defeat any particular problem. And those days seem to be mostly behind us in terms of computer yep. gaming. And well, and that's, like, uh, that's where a lot of people's uh, nostalgia for the original Operation Flashpoint came from. Uh, because the mission design on that, like a single player, is like, well, here's your guy. This is your objective, and this is what you want to go do. It's just like, okay, well, I will guess I will go do this or whatever. And that was it. There was no other, other than the actual objective, there was no other construct or limitation within the game that what you could do to, to achieve that, right? Uh, and left it entirely up to you. Um, and a lot of people like that, and it's fun. That's what made it so compelling as a single-player uh, thing. Now, uh, I will put an asterisk on this that, you know, in my opinion – uh, Bohemia's drastically dropped the ball since OFP on their single player design. It's abysmal. I haven't been able to. I haven't can't. I haven't completed a. You know, played more than thirty minutes of it since OFP and all their new variations. Um, you know, and that's and that's one of the things that I I even struggle with in Arma is uh, typically I don't like playing against AI because they're not smart enough. Uh, even though I can do, you know, it's an open uh, open concept and stuff. Um, it's it's nowhere near as as you know as you don't have to use your head as much uh, you know playing against people, um, uh, and you know generally people are worse shots than the AI, but they'll sneak up on you a lot better than you know they'll do shit you know they'll flank you they'll move on you they'll communicate uh, a lot more realistically and effectively than than the computers will. I remember uh, Operation Flashpoint was one of the earliest games with uh, looking down the sights as one of the well and and yeah absolutely and and I think I I still uh, like the two D sights they did on OFP uh, because you'd have like your normal three D model stuff when it was at low but when you'd bring up the gun um, it would shift to a a two D sight uh, that was just a couple sprites or whatever. Uh, but the way they were able to do what that was 
what was cool about that is they were have a a uh, a fully in focused front sight, and then using just blurring and dithering and transparency on on the rear uh, the rear sight. So you actually had a sight image that was pretty realistic in terms of uh, the depth of field and focused uh, that you would see uh, with your sight picture. So you actually had a good sight picture was the front sight, like on the M16 was, was sharp and in focus uh, and, and centered correctly due to the rear sight that was blurred out and, and effectively transparent um, due to the stereo vision and stuff. Um, and, in in the transition to 3D, uh, I don't think anyone's really effectively done that. Uh, there's technical reasons for that. Um, doing depth of field correctly uh, and efficiently is a hard thing to do. Uh, and you know, and like the whole idea of like the simulating that transparency uh, in the rear sights and stereo vision, um, it makes it really really hard. Uh, now that's some of the cool stuff you can see with VR and and uh, and stereo video is some of that, but uh, uh, it's still not quite right because you're, you know, you've got that fixed focal length uh, in VR and stuff and in normal games too. But uh, yeah, you, you bring up a good point that the 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 iron sights in OFP are really really kind of unique and and kind of cool uh, in terms of despite being two D. Um, just flat uh, bitmaps or whatever uh, really brought a uh, a very realistic sight picture to the to the game. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to actually try Arma since uh, I have nothing but fond memories of Operation Flashpoint. <laughs> well, let let me know. I'll I can handheld there a little bit. <laughs> there's absolutely some. Uh, um, uh, some cliff and goofiness in terms of the learning curve there, even for somebody who's, who played OFP. Yeah, the Wikipedia looks pretty in-depth. <laughs> well, you get into some of the mods, and there's absolutely, you know, um, you know, uh, I was playing last night as an RPG gunner, and, and it's a matter of, like, you know, you got to know your different types of RPGs uh, and and the ballistic characteristics of your different uh, classes of, of RPG rockets, um, because you got like your big uh, your fragmentation, uh, your like your OG sevens versus like your uh, your heat and tandem heats and and thermoborics and stuff all have drastically different uh, uh, ballistic characteristics, and you've got to be aware of that, um, you know, and in in uh, you know in within Arma, uh, knowing your like sight. Uh, your uh, sighted distance and bullet drop and and the relationship of of your zero and your and the the ballistics of what you're shooting is important too uh, because they've got you know the the M16 and 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 AK sights fully modeled. I can run a if I've got a, an A2, I can run that sight adjustable sight all the way up and down from 100 to six six or 800 uh, 800 meters and. And not only do you have to be able to range somebody and dial that in right, uh, you've also got to be aware of the the side offset and ballistic trajectory um, of those various zeros um, on that. So, uh, you know, if nothing else, some of that stuff can can at least uh, allow you to get comfortable with doing the math uh, and some of the you know 
you know, non-stereo vision uh, range estimation uh, stuff of just basic gunnery is okay. If I'm if I'm going to adjust my uh, you know sights this way, what's what's the real world impact of what's that what that's going to do? And uh, you know, you got to think about you got to be able to do that effectively in something like Arma, where they're fully uh, basically simulating everything but windage. Um, you know, you've got to be aware of that. Well, this is where I like, think. That, oh, go ahead. This, this is where I think this kind of stuff can't cannot replace world world training. It never can. I, I no, totally it, agree it with can't. That. But 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 I do think that it can get you the concepts and the basics in a way that um, are real safe and easy to do. And I think that I I'm not. I think there's a there there. We may have to disagree on that with some of the people that are on the panel, but I think that there's training that can be had as long as you don't do the wrong thing and replace real real world training with it. Yeah. And you know, that's like uh like that's like understanding like side offset and ballistic trajectory. Where, you know, doing it in something like that, you're gonna learn it a hell of a lot faster than you are gonna learn on paper or in a you know, it you get some practical experience without actually having to get, go out in the range and shoot. Yeah, or yeah, just like range posted. With I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. Oh I was I was just gonna say the video you posted last night of using the oh yeah uh, you, RPG. you you saw that exactly so I had it, it was an RPG of a PGO seven site on it, uh, which has kind of got that that standard uh, Soviet type uh, 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 rangefinder on it and yeah you can see in the video where um I was shooting a, a you know a BTR I believe it was BTR seventy um, where I was sitting there tracking it with the rangefinder just wa- waiting waiting until it got close enough that I had a corresponding. Uh, indication on the scope and you know yeah if nothing else uh you know that game has allowed me to you know if i ever find myself with a pg with an rpg and a pgf7 i'm yeah i'm gonna under i know how to use the rangefinder and apply that uh to the you know to the graduations in, in the scope um you know and, and that's that's kind of like this the stuff you're sitting at uh like if you wanted to make a uh a, you wanted to teach someone how to use a horus reticle you know, something with Arma with uh, the full ballistic simulation is not a bad way of doing it before you go waste a bunch of dollar shot ammo um, about how to, you know, okay, well, it's this much. What does that mean on this reticle? Where do I, like, point of aim, point of impact kind of understanding on some of that stuff? Um, Speaking of Russian yeah. stuff, someone just posted okay, gotta... something about Stalker. I love that game. Yeah. Uh, and the sequels. I just have to brag a little bit. How many people suddenly just pull this out when you mention it? That's what they said in <laughs> chat too. <laughs> nice. That for your uh, your total like Afghani Soviet special there, they stuck BGO seven on there. I actually point. mounted it on an AK and zeroed it and see how if you could use it as an actual optic uh, to shoot stuff with, you know. And uh, um, that's not a good solution. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but if you know if that's if it's that or or no magnific no magnified optic, yeah okay yeah, yeah. maybe <laughs> um you know stuff like that um you know I I had an earlier story the very first time I ever really played OFP um it was the same situation an RPG FPGS seven on it and uh, this before I knew any better and I you know I saw some some stationary anti-aircraft uh, or mobile anti-aircraft gun I'm just sitting there like 700 meters, 700 meters away. All right. Well, it's on here. I can go blah, 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 and launch, ripped an RPG off and hit it and blew it up. And, 
And uh, I'm like, yeah, now knowing what I know now is like, that was, that was a waste of, I just got lucky. You know, that was stupid. Um, I heard us touch on stalker though. The original stalker game was freaking fantastic. It had some weird gun problems, but the game was awesome. And the vibe was right. And the whole Pripyat exclusionary zone and all that was really neat. Yep. And then when you get in the mods for it, holy crap, it's awesome. Well, and see, I think uh, you were talking about like uh, the uh, various like inventory management and stuff. Uh, and that's that's a very real thing in the world of Arma is the weight penalty. And it's it's more weight. Volume plays into it too, depending on what you're wearing. But like every every bit of your uniform and kit has various uh, is various levels of, of volume. Uh, and the weight affects your your uh, you know your stamina and ability to move. Uh, you know what they don't do, and we know this. You know what they don't do, and we know this from Chuck, and I also know it from my Finnish friends. What they don't make you do is carry fifty pounds of batteries. <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, we don't do it in practice, but you can. Uh, there was a time where we had to keep where. You, in your inventory, you had to keep like your laser rangefinder and the laser rangefinder battery, and the radio and the radio battery, and and handle your battery management and account for that in your inventory in order to operate those devices. Um, By the way, System Shock did that, and it was a terrifying thing when you're on the bio level or whatever, and you had no batteries and all of your energy weapons were dead. It sucked. Yeah. Well, and you know we've done even things in in, in, in Arma. Uh, where like you know if it's we're gonna have like a fall we're, we're gonna move like we're doing kind of do like a withering defense and fall back you know we'll uh, we'll drop our rucks at our fallback position uh, and move up forward with just the stuff on our like load bearing vest and shit uh, just before just so we can move farther and faster when we're falling you know when we're going up there and falling back and and staging our gear that way and just you know making a pit stop on our way back to wherever to grab our rucks and keep you know and restuff our mag pouches and keep going um so there's you know yeah it's not fighting but you know some of the at least at least some of the mental the mental exercises uh involved in some of that stuff it's a good way it's you know it's a passable way of doing it uh short of just sitting on the couch or you know in a classroom or something and it's fun yeah and it's fun well and, and uh, here's another another one is uh uh vehicle identification yeah um uh, you know, through playing all that, I've got a pretty damn good handle on on uh, on U.S. and Soviet vehicle identification. There's not a lot of you know uh, outside. You know, how many people out there who've got like their uh, you know can tell all their BTRs from their BDMs and BDMP or uh, BM or BDMR or oh, fuck? I fucked this all up. I was gonna make a trying to make a point of how I know all this shit, and it's just fucking rush oh, we got the idea jumble. we got the idea yeah 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 right the, the btr mp t72 uh which that's always funny when you're like on the radio you, you listen to the radio and someone's get starts spazzing and just throwing you know throwing letters together to try and tell us what's coming um it's the lmnop yeah what or you know you, you in you get stuff like uh, oh yeah it's the 
BDRM 70. I'm like, well, is it a BDRM or is it, are you trying to say BTR 70? Because that's it, really fucking important to know because one of them's, you know, an up armored Jeep and one of them's a fucking, you know, has got an auto cannon and, and real armor on it. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and down your planes and helicopters from each other. And, you know, and more importantly on vehicle, uh, you know, in, in, in the game and, you know, Walt or one of you guys was talking about that is, is the threat assessment of that. Right. Uh, you know, knowing the difference between like a, a BMP one, two and a three um, or like a, the BMD, the amphibious, the little lightweight, airborne versions of those uh plays a ton into into how big of a threat is this vehicle right uh because like a bmp1 uh is i mean it's a threat but it's not it's not that bad right it's got uh it's got a you know a can- like a 70 something millimeter cannon on it and a peak and a coax gun okay that's that's scary but it's not as scary as like the like a bmp4 or some of the uh uh uh, the BMDs where they've got like a 30 millimeter auto cannon and like a, a you know, a 76 millimeter cannon and an, an ATGM on them and a 14.5 coax, um, you know, where he's like, okay, this is a, you know, this is a whole like rolling thing of nope. Right. And, you know, you know, uh, the, like this thing. Yeah. It's going to hurt if it hits you, but it's, it's got a relatively, you know, reasonable rate of fire, and it's just is not going to be spewing explosive shit every. <laughs> Negligent muting. Uh, the uh, the uh, I don't know. That's kind of funny. But you know that's a you know what I, what I'm getting at is that's that's you know that's better than some flashcards uh, in terms of that stuff. And, well, it's active and, application. Yeah, you know, and and especially you know, like yeah, armor identification and and threat prioritization. It's one thing to be clearing rooms, but uh, as a tank crewman, where else are you going to get that right? Short of an actual you know real war. Here's another one. If you're going to have a, a semi or realistic or semi-realistic first-person shooter, especially a tactical one, you have to have friendly fire. And so RO2 does this on realism. Onward definitely does it. You accidentally engage your own guys if you don't pay attention, and you waste your own dudes, and you feel bad about it. And that's a real-world thing. And so when you come around a corner, there's someone there. That split-second moment of what uniform is that, what gun is that, whatever, that matters. And games that turn that off ruin that possible experience. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a that's a yeah. Again, that's another big thing. It's like okay, um, look at the helmets. Like the helmets, a big indicator on like that that friend or foe. You know, uh, you know, if I'm an American, I'm looking for those goofy Soviet helmets. You know, they don't look like American helmets, uh, and vice versa. Um, you and want like a real some, world example of this? Actually, there's a really great real world, real world example of this. World War II, um, the Germans got a, a bunch of surplus M31 Finnish Soami submachine guns, which are normally drum fed, 
Well, guess what else is drum fed? The Papa Shaw 41. So the Germans got a bunch of these guns with drums, were running around with them, and there was a bunch of friendly fire incidents. So what they did is they converted MP40 mags to fit the M31 submachine gun, not because they didn't want the drum, but because the drum caused other Germans to fire on them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. And, like, another thing uh, we found that's uh, a big thing, especially on friendly fire, um, is learning to use thermals and and not wasting anything that's fucking hot. Uh, because, um, I don't know if you've ever looked through a thermal, it's real hard to fucking tell what, uh, in, in, in real life is like, okay, well, there's something there. I'm not sure if this is a dog or a cow or a deer or, you know, some other like four legged, uh, animal that's that thing. And the same thing applies to that. It's like, okay, that's a dude. I don't know necessarily if this is a bad dude or a good dude. Um, and just, learning to deal with that. And, and, and again, uh, thermal signatures, various armed vehicles and shit like that. I have a question. Actually, this is a real world one that made me think maybe Matt, you know, I don't even know the answer to this. So for example, under when you're working with nods, you know, you have, you know, have like a strobe or indicator on your, on your helmet or whatever, that's friend or foe kind of thing. It's, it's like an IR strobe. Is there such a thing as an, as a thermal? I don't know. Identifier? I've had the exact same question, but I don't deal with it enough. On occasion, we get to deal with it at Darcy as an instructor, I get to be on the catwalk with it and be able to see the big picture. But if I want to mm-hmm. be able to identify if that's a good guy or a bad guy, or if that's a good guy shooting a good guy or whatever, I need to switch to uh, IR and and look at the indicators on them. So basically, right. but that- yeah, I can I can tell, okay, there's a dude right there, and he's right next mm-hmm. to a dog or something like that. But then I need to switch to IR to be able to identify, okay, he has the markings. Right. I just wonder if there's a similar thing for thermal signature. That's an interesting Cold question. packs on your helmet. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, something like that, or there could be some kind of heat strobe or something, but, but, but that's an, I've used thermal before and you're right. A heat, a hot, a hot source is a hot source. You're not going to identify. And that's why there's, that's why there's the combined, uh, stuff where it's like I squared a thermal on top of I squared. Boy, Uh, by the way, this is a whole nother topic, but the whole overmatch thing, you know, one of the reasons I was thinking about this and. Every time I'm getting off here for just a moment, but I keep thinking about this with the What Would Stoner Do project, and I've devised or designed my particular door kicker gun to be able to do active or passive night vision by putting the PVS-14 behind the dot. And if we're going against someone else that's of the same or equal um, technology, you no longer have the advantage with going with active IR uh, or nods than you do. If they have night vision too, you can't go active is what I'm going with. And that brings back the need to go passive, but it seems we've gotten really stuck in a rut of always going active because we're not worried about the opposition having night vision. Well, it's, it's one of the things is we've worked uh, to improve night vision simulation, uh, mainly through degradation of the night vision image, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of stuff is, a lot of video games are, are guilty of basically just, taking the monochrome version of it and throwing some green on it right um where we've done you know added a lot of like the you know realistic field of view restrictions um simulating the different types you know between like a pvs 14 and like the 31s and the panos and stuff um and have the the various uh field of view um differences there um the noise, depth of field, and the focus, um, uh, a lot of that shit. Like, um, 
we've got it now. So like, yeah, you can bring up the gun and kind of have iron sights there, but they're fucking, they're blurred out and fucking worthless. Right. Um, and then you get to the point where, yeah, if you're doing any near period stuff, you've got to watch your, you know, you got to be careful of your laser discipline and everything. Um, you know, in fact, I've got that on in my kind of control setup, uh, you know, on my mouse. You know, I've got like, you know, the click to shoot and then I've got, you know, the button to talk and then the button, my light laser button, too, um, for that exact reason to not be, you know, walking around a fucking lightsaber just showing everybody their brother where I'm at. Though I got to say, specifically at Darcy training with the Sims and you're running night vision and all that kind of stuff. The ability to well, first off, you—it's not always the case where your your up four have night vision. On sometimes the up four does. On the nights they don't, it sure is fun to throw IR chems into an area they're coming through, and they have no idea they're completely lit up. They just walk through, and you shoot them, and it's a high five moment. So, so when up four does have night vision, do, do is there is there a do you go in passive or what do you do? Depends. Okay, well, maybe that's not. <laughs> but 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 that's an interesting question because obviously I, we're so used to using IR lasers and all that that's not always the best solution. And and I think with what basically the uh, the direction Jordan's gone and with a lot of this conversation, it could be very cool to to try stuff out on Arma three. Maybe we should get a server together. Well, it just is is this anything you know? Uh, just in general, yeah, you know, there may be. There's there may be some good utility there as kind of a virtual sandbox to the play away play around with you know changing this here and there and what kind of effect that has um, because there's some of that shit you just can't there's no way to do it in in real life that's not you know getting people shot right um, so I don't know yeah just food for thought there I guess. I need to get some kind of tone that specifically is in range. Because when Jordan says something, I like to hit the Carnicon tone. So if you're listening to this on audio, when Jordan's done talking, sometimes you hear that uh, the gong. I need something for in range. Hmm. I don't know what that would be, actually. You know, off topic, but on topic of video games, I for one... Oh, so it's on topic. Well, yeah. Um... I'm super excited about the uh, soup, the little mini Super Nintendo they're gonna have out this yeah. fall. Yep, that's I'm um, I'm gonna spend some time with that reliving my childhood for sure. Well, I do if you can get emulation. One. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I don't know what this is. Tell me what it is. I've never even heard of this. It's cool. It's a Super Nintendo. It's, that's tiny. Yeah, it's su- uh, Super Nintendo with like 30 games on it already. It's like 60 bucks. You just plug it to HDMI and go. Oh, 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 so it's just a little unit you plug in. Yeah, yeah, just reliving your childhood, right? Not John will probably have one. On stuff. Well, so it's the same thing they've done with, like, the Activision, the ColecoVision, the yeah, 26. exactly. Yep. But they met, they bungled the original NES ones so yeah, they didn't make Yeah, they didn't make enough of them. They're going to make a lot more of them, though. Yeah, I was looking at the games list. The only game I wanted on that that wasn't there was uh, Pilot Wings, so... I'm pretty happy. Yeah, about it. I mean, if you go to Asia, they make like knockoff unofficial ones with emulation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I, a, five thousand games. You know, yeah, it's I had like a, so much I had one of those for the Game Boy Advance. Uh, that was a bunch of old Super Nintendo. Like, it was like three hundred Super Nintendo games um, on the Game Boy Advance cart. 
I guess I was the weirdo. The only console I ever had and enjoyed was the 3DO. Yeah, you're. you're oh my Leo. gosh! Holy yeah. moly! Yeah. That, no, that I, was the one I liked. I, uh, I'm like Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo. Uh, is definitely, despite my aversions, the console that you know that era was exactly the games didn't try to. They were a good fit for the console, right? There wasn't any discrepancy there, right? Uh, and super like Super Mario World is like that's it, right? That's the pinnacle. That's probably one of the best games ever made uh, in terms of you know here's here's your buttons, let's go, let's just jump around and do st- you know kind of that that button you know uh, hand eye coordination sort of just going around and hitting you know popping mushrooms and shit. Um, it's funny. I guess I guess I was always some anomalous person in that regard. I grew up using Amiga computers, and console was a 3DO. So I was some mutant. Yeah, pretty much. You're just old. Nah, those are good. Those everyone else was using something else, but those were. Um, are you a Unix user too? <laughs> Actually, yeah. So, yeah. Unix and Mac, pretty much. But yeah. But as far as old school consoles are concerned. Uh, I don't know the legality of this, but I'm a big fan of emulators. I have a ton of NES, SNES, Genesis. So if I think I'm technically away, it's yeah. legal as long as the ROM you're using, you already own a copy of physically. Oh, yeah, then I'm good. Oh, yeah, then I'm good. Exactly. Well, it, some of that's, uh, that's more than what I care to mess around with. That's why I'm, like, I'm looking forward towards to that. Oh, it's, uh, it's easy. That, I I know it's easy, but it's the same thing as the whole ISP switching thing. That's I just want a magic box that works. I don't want to have to like, you know, download stuff and find things. Yeah, you keep it on a thumb drive. It's let me tell you, being away for training or something. Like if I'm off doing, I can't even think of what. I'm staying at a hotel, bored out of my mind. The TV sucks. I have my laptop. I can play some old school Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 more than I care. <laughs> oh, you know, man, a really cool way to do it. What was that? Go ahead. Oh, you save all your. Um, you actually, I actually have my emulator in. Don't tell anybody this. It's going to be a secret, okay? But it's. I actually have it in Dropbox. And so that's it syncs up the emulator. That's some and uh, all of the saved games and stuff. So some, I can do it all through all my computers. Back in high school, um, they gave everyone like like 50 megabytes or a hundred megabytes of network to dress, you know, networks, a folder on the network and storage there. Um, you know, and they re-image the computers every day and everything. So we figured that out, just kept a copy of doom in that, uh, in our network folder. And, and we'd, we'd, uh, play doom in, uh, in our computer classes. How many people could you get in one, one match Four, right? Was it four? Or yeah, 16? yeah I, think, I think it was four. Yeah, I love dominating back in those days. Uh, nowadays, kids are too good. You know, I, I was always like the, the the killer in terms of like video games. Like ten years ago, now it's like twelve year olds like headshot me all the time. Isn't that Damn going it. back to the point I made earlier about us evolving as a people as a result of technology? These kids are better. Mm-hmm. They Someday, if you jump on a on a console, they're doing all sorts of bullshit that's fucking with you too. Uh, you know the the joysticks are so terrible uh, compared to the mice and stuff. They've got a they, there's a lot of uh, low level like auto aiming and and aim stabilization that's going. Oh, on that's true. That's in true. a lot of first person shooters and stuff, um, just because the simple the fidelity of the 
of those joysticks are are they are what they are, and they're not good. Um, in terms of uh, you know just the resolution and precision of them. Do you remember the old arcade game Operation Wolf that had the Uzi oh, yeah. there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a VR version that came out called All Operation Warcade, and it's exactly that. You walk up to the machine, you pick up the Uzi in VR and play it, and then as you're playing Operation Wolf, every once in a while it transports you into the game first person, driving a truck or whatever. It's freaking awesome. It's kind of <laughs> oh, I'd love that for like uh, if they'd oh, make like, a VR time crisis or something. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> be sweet. You know, sometimes some of these older games are kind of nice, like. I might have worked for a correctional entity for the state, and we might have done land parties on graveyard shifts when everyone was asleep and might have played old-school StarCraft. This is, let's see here, Statute of Limitations is, we're well beyond 10 years now, so. You know, that uh, that, uh, brings up, like, that's another thing I got, I I kind of picked back up. uh, What was the name of it? Uh, Shit. Uh, One of the other, uh, like, Supreme Commander. And some of the uh, the various uh, uh, there's still uh, like a supreme commander kind of community running all like bootleg like third completely like third party versions of it, um, you know some of those old school uh, real time strategy games, uh, you know and actually one of my one of the favorite games that they they kind of they made it and then kind of stopped going down that direction even though it's a functional game uh, it was out of ammo. Uh, it's a VR thing, but basically, so it's, it's like a old school real time strategy where like you build like forts and and you sign dudes to these fortifications and, you know, you get waves of guys coming and they shoot and all that stuff. But the cool thing is, is so you've got this cool, like, you know, God mode sort of VR real time strategy, but you could also possess the dudes and shoot first person, um, from their little, with their guns or RPGs or whatever, and just kind of go from this, like, you know, this 300 foot tall man perspective into these first person shooting, uh, shooting, uh, you know, stuff from their little embankment. Uh, and they've got like, uh, my favorite's the 50 cow and they've got an actual 50 where you got to like flip the feed tray over and, and put the rounds in it and, and charge again. And then, and then you get the, the double, the, double thumbing the spades there and and just mowing these things down and it's it's all like minecrafty cartoony bullshit but it's a ton of fun and you know it's one of those it's a good example of of uh of immersion where like i'm sitting there on my you know on my knees taking cover on the floor behind you know some sandbags and lobbing grenades over and shooting and stuff and it's like this you know big old like minecraft blockman uh jihad is coming at after me and you know i'm fully fucking in that game we're going to town um just the the hark back to the uh you know graphics aren't that important if you're got if you're doing you're playing your other immersion cards correctly i don't know if any of you guys ever played but uh what was it command and conquer renegade that had so much potential oh yeah i guess it it, they kind of did that didn't they yeah i never played that i it was I so made it cool. To like, like Red Alert was like. Uh, well, this the, was a first-person shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Of course, though, Carl didn't play it because he wasn't mainstream. Which one was it? 
Command and Conquer Renegade. Oh, you know what? That that sounds. That, I honestly didn't. You're right. I didn't play it. But someday we're going to have a food and drink episode, right? I found this today. Pacho Aperitivo. What's I like Pacho bitters. I am. It's really good, and I've got my my little muzzle device shot glass here, so I'm going to enjoy some while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, and we, yeah, we will have a food. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily going to be food and travel. It might just be food, and then we'd have a separate travel one. Awesome. Because I understand Anyways, you already do those. Pretty good. Uh, we, we can we can get, get Kel roped into that one, so we can. I think so. He is a he is a subject matter expert in that in that topic. Yeah, we were uh, we were down in San Antonio, and uh, uh, you know he played tour guide for us. You know, downtown the Riverwalk and the Alamo and everything, and I was just like. He just, oh yeah, this is this here, and know this here, and this here, and this here. And I'm like, you're not even from here, and is ripping this stuff off. So, well, I can give you more New Orleans than you're ever going to want to hear about. I can take you around Springfield, Missouri. I heard that's almost as exciting as New Orleans. <laughs> well, eh, you know, there's nothing in Utah, so. Though, actually, uh, we might have a trip to Utah. Well, I'm already here, but a trip to another location in Utah that I'm excited about that I don't think we can talk about yet, Carl and I. That does sound interesting, yes. I wish I could say more. And and anyway, John doesn't know what, he, what we're talking about, so it doesn't matter. So what are the current games you guys are playing right now? For me, I'm replaying Fallout 2 because it's awesome. I just finished Mage's Tale, which is a VR um, sort of a... Um, it's a Bard's Tale universe game that's a plug-in to the new Bard's Tale 4 that's coming out in 2018. So they made a VR Mage's Tale that was like an, a, a tie-in that I just finished that. That was a lot of fun. Obviously Onward. I've been, I've been talking about Onward like a, like a goon here for a while. Um been playing Rising Storm 2 uh, Vietnam. I've been enjoying that. Uh, I just started playing around with Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is another VR game where you're actually on the bridge. That's pretty cool. Um, obviously a VR kind of binge for me, but that's what I've been playing lately. Well, no, that's, uh, that's kind of like what Johnny was telling me. As a matter of fact, he he said this to me even before the show. He hasn't played any any actual games other than VR because once you got that, why would you want to play anything else? The uh, Rising Storm Two Vietnam pulled me out of VR, and I like it. That yeah. one, that one was one that I'm like, okay, this is cool. But outside of that, if it ain't VR, I kind of don't bother looking at it. Now, uh, Bard's Tale Four comes out next year. That's not VR, and I'm going to play that. And System Shock Three is coming out, which won't be VR, and I will definitely play that. But for it to for me to play it, if it's not VR, it's got to be something super special. You know. Uh... I had something, and it's the stuff we're playing right now. We can come yeah. back to you. No, stuff I'm playing right now is just the occasional War Thunder and Arma, and a bunch of games I have bought but I've not played, which I'm bad about. Me too. Uh, Rise, Rising, uh, the uh, Rising Storm Two is top of that list. Squads at top of that list. Um, that. They're, I own them and they're uninstalled. I'm looking at them uninstalled on my Steam list. Um, let's see, what else? 
Uh, I haven't actually been playing a lot of uh, VR stuff. Uh, my brother actually has got this set up right now. Um, I, I've i not found the VR, like my hook into VR in terms of uh, games that have like a lot of depth and me and me want to like continually play them. I, I haven't found that yet. Um, I've tried a lot of stuff and there's a lot and I've enjoyed most of it. It just, uh, um, there's not a lot of stuff uh, I found yet to stake my flag on. I got two more. I didn't think about lone echo, which is that space sim thing, which is fantastic. And then another one, which is not VR that I have been playing for years is rise of flight which is a World War One flight sim, and it is exceptionally well done. I find it really funny that actually the two most popular games, or the two most common games that I play on my VR are actually Fruit Ninja and Space Pirate Trainer, and I'm not even joking. Just because the mechanics of them are just so perfect and simple and whatever, I play for 10 minutes and I go like, all right, I had a satisfying game experience and I just... Yeah, I like Space Pirate Simulator is is fun and and it's, it's really and uh, the aesthetic they've chose for that really works well. It looks really good and and kind of just meshes well. My biggest complaint with that is the angle of the controller. That's you know some like hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades. You can change that. You can change the rigging angle to to actually match kind of a, a more natural point of aim. Um, well, the way the, the controller is, this is a next genera- Star Trek next, next, generation, next Generation Phaser. Well, that's not how handguns are, and I happen to have a little experience with guns. Yeah, and in mm-hmm. hot dogs, horseshoes, and hand grenades, you can change that. Okay, I remember what I was talking about. Uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on Star Trek uh, Bridge Simulator. I want to, but it's like 50 or $60. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want it that much. Uh, but that was a game I used to play quite a bit was Artem- uh, Artemis uh, Spaceship Bridge Simulator, um, which is basically the same idea. Like you get six, you know, a, a land party of, of dudes together and, and like, you know, each each copy of the game on each computer is a console. Uh, and you've got one guy just yelling at everyone to do things and uh, and play that. That's that's a lot of fun. That sounds like uh, how primary and secondaries run. Yeah. The uh, you know another another game that's actually a v- also a VR game and a real game and a normal game slash like a meta game uh, that's that's kind of the same idea is uh, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. Uh, I have that, but I haven't actually played it yet with anybody. Oh, yeah, I'm super great. excited about it. So basically, yeah. they're in game oh, norm- like a normal setup. setup, yeah, or a VR guy. Uh, you're in there and you. You're essentially the game is you're on the phone with the bomb tech and you've got a bomb in front of you. You've got to defuse it. Um, and they've got a, a, a manual, a paper manual that that's got all the various things. So they have to ask you, what do you, you know, what do you see? Uh, and they have to look it up and based on your description and tell you how to defuse it and you have to defuse it. Um, and it's all built on that and being able to communicate with each other correctly and, and talk each other through that. Um, so yeah, it, it involves like a person in front of the computer or in, in VR, and then a person not you know out you know, in the real world sitting there flipping through a paper manual trying to talk them talk them into how how to do that. 
So do you guys like a lot of asymmetrical games like that? Because I think they're brilliant. I think more games should have that kind of like I think, vastly yeah. different I think experience. More games should should have that's that's it's an interesting thing. Did you ever play like the old? Uh, There's a Splinter Cell with a multiplayer with a multiplayer element in it, and it was Mercs against the Spies. I remember you and trying that was to get the me into best that. Lanning I've ever had in my life because it was like the spies were just like the traditional normal Splinter Cell kind of action where it's third part or third person and they can run up walls and they were non-lethal and they could do all kinds of cool tricks and stuff and the mercs were slower and they could kill and there's just all kinds of little quirks about it that were brilliant like you could grab onto the people and whisper the last thing that they say you say to them before you knock them out and like just like really. <laughs> I don't know. It was awesome. There were so many cool scenes that happened. So, that somebody day. brought it up in chat. The Iron Wolf VR. It's a little VR yeah. scale submarine trainer. I have that. I've played it. I don't like drowning, so I haven't played it again. Um, Who likes drowning? What, Seriously. What, what's interesting about Iron Wolf VR is it's not a sim of a specific submarine in terms of being very technical in depth. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, abstracted a bit. But what it is a sim of are the concepts of how to fight with a submarine in World War II, and it mm-hmm. does that very well. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I think with the 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 right set of people to play with, that that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but be prepared to virtually drown. Uh, well, by the way, that's one. If there was one service to not be in in World War Two, it was the German submarine service. <laughs> well, and that's that's and that's one of the, I'm you know one of the things that's going to be cool. Eventually, somebody will fucking do it. Is like yeah, a multi a multi crew room scale tank sim. Because that would the the physical requirements for that's really good, and you know the a gunner sim for like a B seventeen, uh, because again the 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 physical world matches the room scale world really well for something like that. Because there's not a lot of there's room to move around inside of the back of a B seventeen, but there's not a lot of room to move around. In the back I, I want to know why I'm not driving a T thirty four in VR yet. That bothers me. Because you're on podcast. Yeah, well, well, they don't have you know, it yet. I can't I'm do it. Way, like, why? Why isn't there somebody? You know, why? Why am I not sitting on a? You know, the you know the little pole gunner roll, just looking through a thing, or being some guy hucking hucking shells in the back, right? Why is like that's? It's such a good fit for the current state of VR. Um, it, and a great yeah, fitness program. There's not the thing. Yeah, he's probably yeah. he's probably put me in the spam folder now. But I've been sending emails to the guy that made Onward. He's still working on Onward, so it's not fair to expect him to make something else. But I want him to do Onward, World War Two. Oh, please, please. That yeah, would be so I, I would, yeah, I just take a a tank on tank multi tier game. Like three, oh. it takes three or four guys to to run a tank and just go for it. And I think that would be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, or yeah, or a B seventeen sim where it's like yeah, three or four guys or on the on the fifties fighting off. You Do you know, remember the, the Microprose game B seventeen Flying Fortress Simulator? It was it's old, but it was really good. No, uh, I've done a little bit in. Uh, I'm wanting to say there was some. I don't know if it was a mod to IL two that allowed you to multi crew a B seventeen. I know we did it in arm a little bit, and it was janky as hell. But you know, it's still fun. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, yeah, the tanks and and like 
and the belly gunners and stuff. That's such a good, it's such an appropriate fit for the current state of everything. It's, it's a shame that we don't have that right now because you could build a fully featured, you know, not holding anything back, not having any goofiness with it. Uh, right now, you know, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, at all, it would just work. I don't, and it's a bummer that, they, someone hasn't done that because the Yet. the mechanics are basically made for each other. Yeah. Hey, Roy, what are you playing right now? Life. Oh, uh, I'm playing a lot of the. Uh, I'm playing a lot of stuff on the console because I'm a casual, I'm a dirty, filthy, casual gamer now. <laughs> so yeah, how it works at Microsoft got me Gears of War. The newest one, Gears of War 4, for free. That was pretty cool. And, oh, yeah, that's one of the few console games that manages to create a satisfying analogy to nailing a reload. Like, if you hit the reload button at the exact right time, you get more powerful ammo. And that's, like, the same feeling I get from nailing a a transition reload. You know what I mean? And uh, other than that, I'm trying to get back into Steam and PC gaming, like, with Mass Effect 2. No, not Mass Effect Two. Uh, the new one, Mass Effect Andromeda. Andromeda it's the yeah. one that the one that uh, that got infected by social justice warriors. Yes, it now, did. Oh, we need like, to talk like, about that. Yeah, yeah, in the world of Mass Effect, there's like this one blue hot female race. Like every member of that race is a hot blue female. And then, like for three games, three full like uh, RPG games, light RPG light games. You know, they've all been hot. And then, like this one, they finally have ugly ones. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why did we need homely Asari aliens? Like, well, was that they also, they also nerfed the female lead character too? Yeah, she the, the 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 facial animations are are really messed up, and it turns out it was like they they hired a young woman. I I knew of her, and she's like a local cosplayer, right? But she got put on as like lead facial animator or something, and. Yeah, of course, all the angry internet trolls went after her and blamed her. I, I wouldn't blame her, man. It's like, I would say uh, if you're doing this massive RPG, you shouldn't, like, you should probably hire, like, a really old pro to do it. all the facial animations, you know? Yeah, it was kind of a disaster. If you go on YouTube, you'll see all the, the great videos of it. But I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping by now it's all patched and it's, it's good to go. I've been enjoying it so far. I I enjoyed but, it. It wasn't bad. I and I don't play it for the animations or for the graphics. So, uh, yeah. And then I, 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 I uh, play of course it for the articles. <laughs> yeah, was it a, a player unknowns battleground? I want to play that a lot more. I think my rig's getting kind of old, so might have to upgrade. Speaking of which, I think E three just happened, right? I mean, I, I didn't. Nothing really caught yeah, my eye. That, in terms that's of console game. stuff. Yeah, I mean nothing's only got me pay excited. Attention, only pay attention to E three for the awkward uh, awkward press conferences and and silliness that goes with that. Oh, oh yeah, and I totally forgot Fallout VR coming up in the fall. I mean, I might just have to finally make the jump just for Fallout VR. Even though it's a dirty console game, it's still Fallout, man. <laughs> as long as they have hand tracking and stuff like that, then I don't care. Uh, they did. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> no, they talked about it. They talked about like your your what is it called? Pit boy. You just flip your arm over like that, and then that's oh. how you do all your pit boy stuff. Oh, and so, fuck yeah, yeah, the they're doing some. Stuff. 
they were saying that they had problems with scale and scale. Everything everything felt a little small. Is some of the demos that I was talking about because it was because the way that things are rendered for like two D three D screens, they don't look as like they scale things differently. You know, just because you're not seeing depth, and then all of a sudden you're seeing depth, and so feel everything feels a little funny. But uh, other than that, it looks freaking awesome. There's some stuff that's that way, like. Again, the hot dog torches hand grenades got a, it's got an in-game menu system that the way you do it, you flip the controller over on the on the back side, and it's just right there. They can use like a, a PDA or something. Lone uh, Echo does a lot of that, where the controls are on the wrist of your of your yeah. avatar, and you'll flip it and hit buttons on your bar, or you'll switch things. Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. Oh, cool. So, are you guys familiar with what Roy mentioned with uh, Mass Effect Andromeda? How they had yeah, we want to talk about. Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm going to mess this up. The sad puppies. That's 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 books, right? Um, what's what's the video game one called? I don't Gamergate. Know. Well, I know Gamergate, but the factions. I don't know. Oh yeah, sad puppies was for the Larry Corea, Corea whatever the, the the Monster Hunters guy. I think he's on primary he- and secondary also. Awesome. Fact, good. He's a, he's a gun guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yes. uh, that was all like uh, they're all messing with it. Was the Nebula Awards or something? The sci-fi uh, literary stuff. Uh-huh. Well, with this, basically, they had uh, character models that they wound up making un- less attractive because social justice warriors were offended. Is, it, is this <laughs> news to you guys? We're, we're, well, no, that, I mean, that, that all goes back to the whole Gamergate uh, stuff, um, you know, and you guys, you know, we were talking about how, how uh, guns have helped sold, you know, video games have sold guns is, you know, there may be some truth to to how, you know, some of that video games and kind of the meta video game world as, uh, as you know, some of that Gamergate stuff is, has swayed some real world political influence too. I don't know. I didn't really keep up with that shit. That's that's too much real world for me. Well, Roy has part of his business has something to do with attractive females and firearms. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny is uh yeah, I mean, uh, I have a lot of liberal friends, right? And then like some of the models the their their political views can be flower childy at times, right? But just gotta, just gotta toe the line. Everybody has similar interests and stuff. Everyone can appreciate good aesthetics. Like, come on! Like the most picky, objectifying woman people I know are lesbians, but they're good at hiding it. <laughs> like the butch lesbian. I, like deep down inside, yeah, it's such a douchebag thing to say. It's like I'm a straight guy. That's actually a butch lesbian on the inside. That's totally me, man. You know, so like, but Bush lesbians hate my ass because uh, I can't hide my straightness. You know what I mean? <laughs> I go to honest. like a, yeah, I go to like a lesbian bar like on t- Tuesday, and I get like more death stares than I've ever gotten in my life. I was like, "What's going on?" And like, I, this lipstick lesbian's like, "Oh, it's Taco Tuesday. You know, you don't mess with Taco Tuesday, dude. Like you're intruding on our space." I was like, "Oh," but you know, I was like trying to like gay it up and like blend in a little bit. Like, "Oh, hey, girlfriend." I was like wearing like Ar- Arcteryx leaf clothes and crap. I was like, shit, <laughs> it's not working. Well, you already stand out a little bit too with your height and your ethnicity and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always good times, you know, especially trying to recruit models in this area. 
I feel like uh, it's like the Saru is basically a race of alien space models, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. they just have to be objectively beautiful. Why did they have to decide? Nah, we're gonna make make some of them not like you. It's fantasy, man. It's not real. Yep. There's yep. no need to inject that. Yeah, I'm so sad about Mass Effect. I feel like and they they hired that one developer who was like famously crazy. He was like a, a brown guy. I think it was Indian or something. He was just like tweet all these racist things against white people, like abhorrent, really, really bad things. But it's okay because he's saying it about white It's like, uh, I don't know, man. Like if you look at the Mass Effect series, it's like uh, you, you don't need that type of poison, you know. So we we're, we try to go – we play video games to escape from reality. It's kind of like what, what Carl was saying. It's like, yeah, his, his tastes are a bit more serious, like – the, the, the dirty console peasants and like dirty casuals like myself, we just want to have fun, man. Like we don't need it to be, we don't need real world issues. We don't need social justice, this or that. Amen. And we don't want to, we don't want to play like F-16 or Falcon 4.0. Remember those games? Oh yeah. Oh, oh God. You, you probably yeah. loved them, Carl. <laughs> I did love but, them. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying you're a dirty console guy. I'm just saying it's my interest. Yeah, That's how I, I, I self-identify. <laughs> yeah, get out your uh, your startup manual for your uh, you know the, all the DCS stuffs that way. Oh, DCS oh. is exactly like that. In fact, um, there's a there's a module for DCS about the Huey, and um, uh, I played that one quite extensively, and it took me like hours just to take off without crashing. And I was at the mil- at the um, air- aircraft museum here in Tucson, and actually I went up and they had a Huey there, and I look in the cockpit and I'm like. God damn! I know how to use this. Like I'm not kidding. I know what all these switches are. Well, and and you know, like uh, DCS, they they'll even get you into the you know real stuff, like with helicopters, like having to avoid like your vortex uh, ring states and and you know the real shit in terms of like what's going to go wrong, um, and how to fly, and how to you know how to operate your M134 flex mount. Um, on your Huey. Man, I remember all, flight all sims when they were skills. just wireframe. When they were, I just remember uh, flight sims that were wireframe, and they were so cool. I will put money on the table on this one, although I haven't had the opportunity. And I, I'd like to hear Jordan what you think of this. If you were to play DCS, the Huey module in particular, because it's so well authentically made and well, well and authentically made. If you were to do enough flight hours in that, do you think you could get into the real thing, take it off, and land it? I think you could. If you're running full realism and have got some sort of sim pit sort of setup, uh, where you're actively you're you're working the you know your cyclic and yep. collective and all that stuff, yes, you stand a pretty good chance. Um, I think I've, you do. I know guys who've who've done that um, have have kind of maybe not like just, okay, here you go, figure it out, but have, you know, have spent their time, you know, in DCS and like Arma and, and various helicopter stuff. And, you know, DCS more so because they're actually, it's a real, you know, a legitimate flight sim where, you know, the aircraft dynamics and controls are, you know, mean something um, where you throw them, you you throw them in a real helicopter, give them some familiarization time, and they're they're holding their own in terms of of being able to successfully pilot that stuff. Um, you know, I the the Hueys and the uh, K fifty twos or whatever versions, uh, or maybe 
you know, from my understanding, there's a little bit more dynamic to a, uh, you know, rotary ring operation than the fixed wing stuff. Uh, I, I would say like, if you, you took the a 10 one, uh, which is the, just as I think just as authentic, uh, and threw a guy in a, you know, the block C or whatever, uh, a 10, uh, yeah, they're absolutely going to pull that off. Um, uh, I think, uh, from my little bit of like flight experience, there's quite a bit more, uh, um, feel for the helicopters, right? Actual, like actual real time, real seat time makes, oh, I think more difference, uh, in a helicopter than a plane. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, somebody who's, who's realistic about it probably stands a pretty a reasonable chance of not killing themselves. I'm I mean, just looking it up on Steam. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's how. You know, that's part of the process of of flying of of uh, as for pilots of like learning new aircraft is uh, putting in the sim hours and just learning learning where the all the bits and knobs and shit are and how to run through your startup checklist and all that stuff. Um, but by the way, when you do DCS and VR, you're actually flipping the switches in the cockpit where they are in the game. Yeah, yeah, you've got the moving your hands, flipping switches yeah. and stuff. Yeah, there's um there are there's a bunch of modules for DCS. Some of them include World War II aircraft, and uh, I was in one of those World War II modules, and I spent, I think it was three hours just learning how to turn the engine on. Literally, like warming the all the oh, it was magnetos this and fuel pump that, and it was it was crazy how in depth it was just to take off. Yeah, and all your your various fuel settings when you're flying and stuff. Um, yeah, the fact that they could fly those things and not crash them and then fight in them is kind of miraculous. Oh yeah, it's it's and especially if you're considering the amount of like uh, flight time your average like new pilot had before you cut them loose on like a P fifty one or something. You know, there's veteran guys that fuck those up now just because it's it's that much higher of a class of performance aircraft than you know what's what's rolling around uh, normally. Speaking of all of this, we do have a uh, Steam gamers group, P and S hyphen gamers. Just yeah, out there. You know, there's a problem with large Steam groups; they stop individualizing the uh the people playing and everything once you get over like 50 or 100 members and it's like oh well, fuck here. we only have 56 yeah we're already going downhill well have we just uh run out of steam <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i like that you know we kind of get at flight sims and you know uh, i play war thunder a lot um and it's kind of it's that i in my mind it's that red orchestra balance uh Especially if you play it on realistic or simulation mode and not arcade, um, where it's it's uh, it's real enough not to have any like um, not to take you out of it, um, but it's not too real where yeah you spend forty five minutes taking off right. It's just you know flaps down throttle up let's go um, sort of deal and you know uh, IL two is that way um, was the right I think the right. Uh, uh, the right balance in a in a flight simulator, where even even full tilt realism, it was still not not reti- not taken. You know, it wasn't that stupid, right? You know, you turn off engine management, and it's pretty. You know, and it was pretty accessible. 
Now, yeah. engine management on that's full poop socking, and I, I'll have none of that. Yeah, I'm I never really got into those types of sims. And... The closest thing to a sim with that kind of stuff for me is Arma. Yeah, just when it comes enough. to flying, Arma's just barely enough, right? Um, you know, we did uh, did some like fancy like source types of operations and and kind of getting a feel for each other, uh, flying flying that sort of fancy helicoptery shit. Um, that was back when there was some some stuff. Um, we were actually. Maybe not in the support of of showing actual soar what you can kind of do in game, but uh, or in VBS in that case uh, that kind of started some of that. But uh, yeah, there's still haven't there's still flight model issues, and there's like shit you can't you, you can do in real life, you can't do in game because the stuff doesn't work, doesn't behave correctly, but. Yeah, what are you gonna do? There's no, there's no, there's nobody else. There's no other options that's doing that sort of uh, scale and like combined arms and shit. Um, it just there's no other option. So, arm it is. And and that's one of the again that's one of the cool aspects of armor. You have specialists who are really good at what they do, and when they all come together, the game is awesome. Yeah, you know, there's no there's no other game out there you can stick a guy in an A10 and have a guy in Apache and a guy in Abrams and a guy on the ground in an M16 all at the same time. Um, and it and looks nice on, too. And on the on the scope that that's a you know a, you're not bullshitting it right in terms of uh, in terms of what it is you know we've had you know you know a hundred or a hundred and twenty people playing at once so. Um, well, some yeah, of my favorite it, some of my favorite uh, experiences playing Arma was basically a like a Blackhawk crew chief type guy, and help with transports, and then help with medevac, and it was cool stuff. Oh, yes, say that we did some uh, playing, some trying to do some kind of community outreach and playing with some other groups and stuff on a limited basis and I got roped in to find an MI8 for like this fucking bus driving for like three hours I'm like oh god um but that yeah, was alright it was willing to play that part to be nah I signed up for it so I'm like okay well we'll do this it's a game you're supposed to have fun come on man come on And it appears that John is falling asleep as we speak. Yeah, it's about bedtime. For, well, it's past bedtime for me. But oh, you guys are wusses. And we we even start earlier, and you guys are getting tired. What the hell? I think I used up all my mojo on my net neutrality rant. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, I know people appreciated it. I hope so. I'm sure it enraged someone, but that's fine. Yeah, well, they it's, didn't. You know they what? didn't say anything. You know what? Here's the thing. It's like when it comes to stuff like that. Whether you agree or disagree, it's better for people to have an opinion than just sit around in ignorance. So if you disagree with it and you get enraged by it, fine. At least you're awake. Do something. Do something, guys. You know? That's true. Well, fine. I guess I'll wrap things up. Unless you guys have something else. Or no, we I can... think this was, this was a good one, though. I had a good okay. time. Thank now, you for having me. As per my new norm, don't sign off yet. 
And that goes to the panelists. So there. So Roy, what do you have? Anything good coming up? Any uh, any new channels? Any new Patreon things you have going on? Uh, uh, basically, I've discovered that people actually really like photos of chicks with guns and states of undress. So I just ask people to pay for that one. But uh, yeah, I have a, like a. I'm just still recruiting uh, models like always. I have the best girlfriend ever that she totally signs off on this and doesn't bitch about it. And before we sign off, I do have to show off another thing. Let me see. Let me share my screen. And it's me. Uh, Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, from Gabe Newell's Knife Room. So uh, he's like uh, one of the richest guys around, man. He's like made billions off of Steam. So he owns Valve. So in his uh, in the offices of Valve, he had a a room filled with knives. He loves making knives, buying knives. This is some like rare Strider that was used for what CS Counter Strike uh, 1.6 or Source. I think it was Source. But uh, eventually, even the richest guy around, like uh, his HR department's like, yeah, we can't have you have a room filled with deadly weapons. <laughs> so they they had to get rid of that. That's pretty funny. That's cool. And so how do people find you? How do they, oh, they find me at weaponoutfitters.com. And also I'm, a, I'm on Tumblr. Out, and I'm usually on Instagram talking shit all day too. Yeah, you are. Because I'm ADD. So when I get bored, I just go on Instagram and make a random post. There's also another aspect that I, I appreciate. Uh, what were your thoughts about red dots on pistols? Oh, it's basically the future, man. Uh you it takes insane. a lot. It takes a lot. The thing about pistols that uh, red dot pistols that sucks is that it takes a lot of skill to exploit it. So, like with a rifle, any asshole will do better with a red dot on their rifle. But with a pistol, you have to have like a certain level of skill, and it's a high level of skill. And I thought I was a pretty good pistol shooter, right? And when I put on a red dot, I discovered I wasn't. Basically, you have to be an A class or better USPSA shooter. In my opinion, some people think B class is good enough, but it's just extreme consistency and extremely fine tuned knowledge of uh, of self, like uh, body awareness, spatial awareness. It takes a lot of time to be able to uh, get that red dot perfectly lined up because it's a tiny window and it's really far from your eyes, so it has to be consistent and perfect. Like Rob Lethem, the, the great one, or the greatest of all time, like he does, a, he did a video where he talked about. Uh, the drills he does to like speed up that transition from iron sights to red to red dot sights, and it's becoming a necessity. Like a lot of my friends who uh, you know were in the army for twenty years and now in private security or law enforcement, they're getting old. They can't focus on the front sight like they used to, but they're still going around kicking ass for a living. So they had they transition to the red dot sight out of necessity. It's just a matter of investing in yourself. If you have invested in yourself with training and practice, you'll have a better return with the red dot. Yep, yep. But it's not yep. for everybody. Yeah, no, it's definitely I, not for everybody. I threw an RMR on my uh, little uh, 2245 light with the stock trigger. That's That may have been a mistake. <laughs> well, and then also it gets that red dot magnifies any issues, and which is oh, really – that's a great training yeah. Uh, yeah, and a little lightweight twenty-two. It's like holy shit. Okay, yep, I've, I've got a long ways to go in terms of holding a, holding a pistol still. Yeah, 
And then, uh, Roy, don't you also have some business with B.E. Myers on a somewhat regular basis? Uh, I'm basically their go-to guy to get get a pulse of uh, the community and stuff because I'm always on the internet talking shit, reading boards, whatever. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, I would say the, the the relationship with B. Myers is informal. You know, like uh, I can waltz people. in the mats. Is yeah. <laughs> but yep, yep. Don't don't take anything I say as official. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I met up with a majority of the crew over at uh, this past shot and met up with uh, B.E. Myers guys, I, I I was just just impressed. Wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah, patriotic Americans who actually want to make cool shit instead of trying to make a buck, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and the products they're offering are absolutely top-notch. It's really also fun to uh, to run on Facebook a sales group. And see how often some of their products come up that shouldn't be for sale. It's like, oh, that's stolen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dazzlers come up quite frequently. Federal government doesn't do a good job of uh, enforcing their own rules sometimes. It depends. It's all subjective. It's like the ATF doesn't have a clear guideline on how they will punish you if you make mistakes in your bound book. But technically, they can they can either totally hose you or let you go. It's all it's all very a uh, gray area. So these like devices, these highly regulated lasers, yeah, you're not supposed to have them. It's supposed to be like really strictly enforced. But you can also buy like a 50 megawatt laser from China. From China, yeah. Blind blind somebody at 100 miles away. I don't know, but it's like it's crazy. Like the regulations against lasers are actually very strict. Yeah. But who's enforcing them and who's who's taking control? It's it's weird. It's a it's a tough market to be in. You know. Yeah. And just a quick little PSA for those of you watching and listening. Do not point a laser at a helicopter or a plane. Thank goodness they will be able to catch you now. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Yep, yep. Uh, Jordan, anything good? Uh, I'm finally finishing up uh, some poster stuff I've been working on for a long time. Um been motivated. I want an MP5 SD. So yes, you do. You've been talking Uh, about that quite a bit recently. Yeah. Yeah, I have. So I'm actually putting, you know, some of these side projects a little higher gear. So keep an eye out for that. And you also have been helping us with our discord server, which I appreciate. Oh yeah. 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 Not that I really like, I kind of just know how it works a little bit better, I guess. And setting up bots and, yeah, I'm no grandmaster at that by by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, apparently it, it's worked well enough. Carl, anything anything uh, you need to promote? Well, I don't imagine. know. There's always something, I, I guess. Um, so just like you've done, we re- we recently added a Discord, a private Discord server to our Patreon perks. Um, that's been well received. At any given moment, there's anywhere between 60 to 80 plus people on our Discord server, which has blown me away. Um, conversation on there's been been just constant since we turned it up, so that's pretty cool. Um, so that's a neat new perk there amongst the other ones we already had. Uh, as people may or may not know that are watching this, InRange is um, only Patreon supported. We don't get monetization from anywhere else, so it's the Patreons that um, keep InRange alive, and people have been good about that, so I'm thankful for that. Um, we have some stuff going on with the Wobbit Stoner Do project. Um, we have gone into a second phase of optics selection. We're dealing with a number of variables that we're playing with. We've got one on my gun, one on Ian's gun, and we're going to be putting them through some matches. 
and we're going to be trying to figure out what's the right answer for his rifle. We know what the answer is for my rifle already, but we're looking for his now. So with the one we were playing with earlier, wasn't the right answer. So that's one of the things we're doing there. And there's going to be a whole bunch of what would Stoner do videos coming up pretty soon where we're actually deep diving on each component because we're starting to quote unquote standardize and certify certain components. And so we've got videos coming out about that. And I'll be at DEF CON next week, which is the big hacking convention out in Vegas. So that should be very interesting. It always is. And I'm going to be doing a Q&A from there with um, some very interesting people. So I think that that'll be a good Q&A. And uh, other than that, I guess stay tuned. Cool. And yeah, right now on your Discord server, you have 87 people. Primary That's and secondary. Said, right? Yeah, primary and secondary has 12. So well. there you have it. Um, <laughs> I, I And I, I see some... Uh, I don't know, but some shared gaming resources coming together for the two organizations. Totally. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and now it's down to 85. Those jerks. I hate them. But yeah, um, it was interesting seeing comments about, you, I loved the shotgun video where you did the pistol grip and the and the side-by-side and the traditional. And it was interesting to read people's comments. It's great content. Don't get spun around the axle about one little thing that might have been said. Well, yeah, no, that's true. And I, I think he actually the, that one comment was actually, I think he misheard what we said. Um, I, what we, there at one point in the video I made, the, I think it was, I think I said it. I don't remember if it was Ian or R.I., but we said or meant to say that shotguns are the closest thing you can get to a 100% one-shot stop gun. Now, does it mean it's 100% shot stop? No, absolutely not. There's no such thing. But in terms of putting... Projectiles on meat, a shotgun's the closest you get to that. Multiple. And someone misinterpreted yeah. yeah. And someone misinterpreted that statement and they're like, Oh, these guys are idiots, they don't know what they're talking about. There's no such thing as a one shot stop turning it off. All right, well, um, I mean if that's how you run your world, that's a pretty boring place. <laughs> so um, but I don't even think we said that. I think someone just mis- misinterpreted what we said. Yeah, multiple projectiles simultaneously striking a single target. Yeah, that's that could be considered. Act, speaking, uh, unless you've got armor on, when thirty, when eight or nine thirty-six caliber pellets go through you, it's a bad day. So, and statistically speaking, even going back to old Fackler data, which is of course sometimes dubious, but the reality is, is that's a lot of force being applied to one piece of meat, and um, it has statistically been very good in terms of one-shot stops. Oh well. Oh, and so where can people find you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. InRange TV. You can go to our home website, which is just a placeholder for InRange.tv. That'll get you to our YouTube, Facebook, full 30 pages. Um, Or you can find us on Facebook by just searching InRange TV or YouTube by just searching InRange TV. And Patreon. And Patreon. And Patreon, of course. Absolutely. That is, I said that earlier, but that's why InRange TV is alive is because of Patreon. Cool. Johnny, anything you need to announce or say or... You want Facebook friends? Nah. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> you know, we, we we really didn't talk about any of your background. You are a photographer. You do that kind of stuff. If anyone needs your services, yeah. go away. Yep. JohnWLanfair.com. That's me. You can follow me on Instagram if you get bored. That's about it. <laughs> I have virtually no experiences with any of the stuff you guys talk about. <laughs> no, you, you do, though. With uh, Pat Rogers, you did photography That's true. With, with him, and I he did. got to show you some cool stuff. And I got, that was really exciting stuff. 
bullets flying over my head while I'm taking pictures. And diving and, yeah. and being right next to the target as people were shooting. No, wait, that's another organization. Just right next to just right over. Yeah. That's a different training organization. I heard about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine, John. I give you an opportunity to tell all three of our viewers. I see how you are. Hey, 43. 43. Yeah, and 20-ish listeners. Because we are oh, gotcha. live on two channels oh. right now. Okay, then. John W. Landfair. L-E-N-D-F-A-I-R. Yeah. Dot com. And, and what exactly do you do? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a like an editor, photo guy. I draw, paint, make music sometimes when I get bored. All so kinds of things. Pretty much polar opposite. I sometimes make the intro music to your... Yeah, kind of. I make the sometimes I make random music for your random clips that you need. You so, yeah. And yeah. what about the same height but a hundred pounds different? Not a hundred. Yeah. It's if you didn't. If anyone didn't catch it already, we're brothers. He's ten years older than me. So yeah. yeah. Same parents. Anyway. It's amazing. Same parents, <laughs> or so I'm told. Yeah, I think we were both adopted. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I'll do my little closing whatevers, I guess. We do have a website. It's called primaryandsecondary.com. We have a forum at primaryandsecondary.com slash forum. We have like 836 different Facebook groups. If you go to Primary and Secondary LLC on Facebook, that's our main page. From there, you can navigate to all of our other stuff. Yeah, We have groups every uh, discussing uh, professional aspects, law enforcement only, gear, sniper, outdoorsy type stuff, you name it, we, we have it covered. We also have, let's see here, obviously we are on YouTube. We have a ton of content. We are on Spreaker. So YouTube and Spreaker both uh, provide live streams when we do these live. We also are on iHeartRadio. We are on Google Play Podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. I think that covers everything. I, I'm probably missing one. So we have a ton of content. Take advantage of it, listen to it, share, like, all that other kind of stuff. We do also have uh, Patreon. Basically what Patreon does is it provides funds to cover projects like this. It co also covers bigger projects that we're working on as we speak. Some very exciting projects between primary and secondary, in range, forgotten weapons, and another entity. Very excited about that. The potential here is epic. And I, I mean epic. If you go to primary or if you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary, you can find it all there. By contributing, you get access to our Discord server. You also get access to, let's see here, depending on the level that you contribute, you also uh, get access to our, we have a private Facebook group specifically for Patreon members. You get access to, there are discount codes to friendly uh, retailers. There are YouTube videos that you don't get access to normally just by being a subscriber. There are also a bunch of other things. I think that pretty much covers it. Next week, this upcoming Thursday, we're going to be discussing um, body armor. We have Mike from AT Armor. He's going to come and discuss some, some of this stuff with us. It's going to be a cool discussion. Um, this has been a long, long time coming. I think that pretty much covers everything. Um, don't hesitate to subscribe. Don't hesitate to like, share, comment. Uh, we appreciate the, the feedback we get. We especially uh, appreciate uh, Patreon support. 
as well as likes and subscriptions. So thanks for joining us. Um, next Thursday, 1800 hours Mountain Standard Time. It will be a primary and secondary focused topic, armor. So with that in mind, we will talk to you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.